Hey everybody, this week we're going to be discussing Goodwill Hunting. As always, we recommend you watch the movie ahead of time. It makes the discussion a little more interesting to follow. So John, what is Goodwill Hunting about? You know, actually, Mike, I I wanted to tell you that I, I was thinking about something that you said to me the other day. I don't know if this is the right time for this, but I'm just going to do it now. You know, on the podcast about James Cameron. Mm. But then something occurred to me. And I fell into a deep, peaceful sleep, and I haven't thought about you since. Do you know what occurred to me? What, John? You're just a kid. You don't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. If I asked you about Titanic, you'd give me the same tired takes from every Reddit thread bashing the movie, a treatise on why Cameron was better at sci-fi. Am I right? But I bet you can't tell me what it was like to hear the audience openly sobbing as Rose let Jack drift off into the icy depths. If I ask you about Avatar, you'd probably give me a syllabus on how it's just a ripoff of Pocahontas. You may have even seen it a few times, but you can't tell me what it feels like to see a sad, lonely little kid have his eyes lit up by the wonderful escape into another world. I doubt you've ever dared to be that vulnerable in a movie. You know what? I can't learn anything about your takes that I can't read in a Reddit thread. You're terrified of having an original thought. You don't want that, do you? your move chief john we to you know it, john, it feels more intense than john, it did last john, time yeah what's up john every every day when i come mm-hmm. to do this podcast with you okay i get on the okay. phone and i <laughs> i have one hope the best part of my day you know what it is john it's that i'll yeah, set up my gear and i'll get ready to record and you won't be there no goodbye nothing you'll just be gone and i won't have to put up with this trash anymore avatar is a ripoff of pocahontas okay (laughs) you can take red and blow it up your butt i mean the truly ironic thing is you'd be so mad if you set up all the gear for the podcast and i just bounced Ah! like i could just see the text the text thread coming out (laughs) that would suck i'd be very upset you'd be so mad uh, welcome to This Film Could Be Your Life. Go Sox! <laughs> Do they even say Go Sox in this movie? No. I feel like they don't. <laughs> no. They don't talk about, like, any of the teams. They about the Patriots. Hey everybody, welcome once again to This Film Could Be Your Life, a movie podcast where two friends take the movies that they love way too seriously. My name is Jonathan Devine, I'm joined as always by Mike Overstreet. How do you like dim apples, John? Yep. And this week, as I'm sure you've gathered, we are discussing the 1997 drama film Goodwill Hunting. Uh, it was a breakout movie for a one Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Who? Uh, they wrote, yep, uh, they wrote the movie... They had spent many years trying to get it made, and then they finally starred in it. And, of course, it became a huge kind of sensation when it came out. It won an Academy Award for Best Screenplay. Uh, had Robin Williams was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. It was just kind of a – it was kind of like a, one of those kind of big, like, mid-budget 
uh, drama movies that we don't actually see too much of anymore. We'll get to that maybe later. But R.I.P. Uh, this is, I think, one of Mike and my just collective probably favorite movies ever. Uh, Mike, what's your what's your history with this movie? Yeah, this is a movie that it was uh, formative. I guess is the right word for it. Uh, you know, when I saw it in high school, I would say I had never seen, at least not in the in the vein of how. Uh, high its quality is but i had not seen a movie mm. like it in terms of a movie with just you know one perfectly cast star and then uh, some newcomers with a p- amazing script and it's just a drama it's just a grounded personal drama where you know you and i always talk about uh, a movie with low stakes in the sense of like a global scale but very high stakes in terms of the the relationships and the personal lives of the characters. And this is like the quintessential, or it was when I first saw it, like version of that for a drama. And now obviously in hindsight, it is just a quintessential version of a very popular form of drama that came out in the 90s that like you said, doesn't really exist. But at the time it was, it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It was such a unbelievable blend of humor and emotionally affecting pathos and just like, oh, it just rips my heart out or it did. And it really hit me as a high schooler. Um, I definitely think, you know, it's still up there as one of my favorite movies in terms of just enjoyability. And really, let me just say nostalgia. Uh, I do think my, I think it's probably been leveled out in terms of my actual kind of perception of the movie as I've taken on like more film criticism. Like I wouldn't call it a perfect movie in a lot of ways, uh, but man, it holds a special place in old Mike's heart. It just made me cry when I was in high school, man. It got me. I think, so I'm pretty sure in fact that your love of this movie was so strong. It's it's hard for me to exactly remember, but I'm pretty confident that's why I saw this movie. Yeah. after we'd met, you 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 uh, went on about it quite a lot, a few different times, and at some point it was like, "Oh, I guess I have to see this." Uh, so I didn't see it until you know relatively recently. In that case, last five or six years, uh, but yeah, it was it was just immediately really struck me. I, I was surprised. Of course, it's funny because certain scenes I think I undoubtedly knew knew about. Um, obviously the, the very famous, it's not your fault scene, stuff like that. Probably even the baseball one, I think had entered public lexicon to a certain point. Yeah. Um, and so in that sense, I I actually kind of vaguely remember that I was surprised at how emotionally coherent it was, you know, because I, I feel like sometimes if you only hear about like the big tearjerker scenes from dramas, you sort of imagine the whole movie is just melodramatic. And this movie's a lot more, um, I mean, this movie has melodramatic moments, but it's a lot more nuanced than that over the sure. course of the movie. And it, it's, I mean, we're going to get into it, but it's pretty exceptionally well-written, I think, and certainly demonstrates a lot of roundedness to its characters. And I think that's what probably I responded to most when I when I, when I I saw it and, and still do to a certain extent. Um, you know, I think that, this is maybe the only time in the podcast we'd have a chance to talk about this. Uh, do you think, is there any sense where we, we mentioned kind of offhand that they don't make these movies anymore? They sort of make movies like these into shows now, right? Yeah. They become prestige TV to a certain degree. Uh, is that something you lament or you maybe even don't, don't register it any way? Like what are your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, I don't have strong opinions about it mostly because I am a TV fan. I do think a movie like this is 
better as a as a movie. You know, I think there's a TV show that's six hours long that would be built out of this. That's just too long. Um, mm. And we'll talk about this later. This movie already is too long in a lot of ways. So I think this is like kind of one of those perfect examples of what I do lament about a movie like this doesn't get made. That being yeah. said, a, a show like Queen's Gambit, I love. And I actually think is like yeah. better suited to give it a five, six hour treatment than, you know, that movie would have been a two and a half hour drama in a in a cinema. And I don't think that's I don't think that's something to lament. Right. I think there are. Yeah. Many of these actually are better suited to be stretched out a little bit more and to be broken apart into vignettes rather than kind of have it um, feel clunky or overstuffed when it comes to actually being tried to forced into the framework of a movie. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, also, I think it should be stated that a lot of dramas in this vein are bad. Like a lot of we lament, <laughs> we lament like a lot of these kind of movies don't get made anymore. But we forget that there were like a lot of 50 million or dollar just stinkers of this kind of yeah. like trying to be sappy or they were they missed the comedy of it or they just like didn't do their tone well or the subject matter wasn't interesting. Um, so it's always kind of weird to me when you ask like a, a universal question when it's talking about a film that's kind of a one-on-one -on -one in terms of how successful it was at the formula that in many ways spawned out of it, right? Sort of survivorship bias, right? Yeah, like we 100%. remember the good ones, but we don't remember the, you know, 30 other movies that came out in 97 that uh, did not, did not hit quite in the same way. Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, my, my take would basically be, be relatively similar. I do kind of agree with you in, in an ideal world. I think, any creative um creative person could have access to or you know an established creative person would be able to secure funding for the movie or the show based on whichever one was better for the product i think the sad thing is considering how things get pushed into one medium or the other based on what's popular at the moment right yeah yeah because certainly i think there's there's movies probably in fact there's there's so many movies between the all the way up until the 2000s until prestige tv became a thing that you think god that would have been an amazing like like 10 10 episode you know hbo show or whatever yeah um but then i think similarly in the last 10 years 10 or 15 years there's been a few shows prestige tv that i've thought man they clearly were forced to stretch this out to a 10 episode show because this is what gets funding nowadays when in reality you look at the material and think this would have been a really beautiful tight to our movie like there wasn't that much story that is true. so yeah. you know i think that's the the sad thing is just considering how trends drive what people have access to creatively um but you know that's also one of those things that you can't get too hung up about because that's just always been true and will probably yeah. always be true to a certain extent and and i do think you know one bummer about it is that and this is like such a old man yelling at cloud's take but one thing that is like lost in this conversation is the end of monoculture, which I think is good yeah. in a lot of ways. You know, there's a lot more targeted content, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. However, like, growing up with this movie, like, being in high school, um, as a kid who grew up in the 90s, like, everyone knew it's not your fault. And it was like, before we had yeah. memes, we were, we were saying that to each other at funny moments, <laughs> like, around the lunch table or whatever. Like, someone would do something stupid and be like, Mike, Mike, Mike it's not your fault and like everyone knows what we're talking about right and i do think that sort of um coming around one piece of content to just meme it to death and to everyone kind of be in on the lingo and the joke is something that we increasingly lose as we kind of stratify 
um, what we're viewing more and more and more and more into different groups. So, I mean, there's like that. And this is like the ultimate yeah. quote movie. I mean, if you if everyone has seen this movie, it is such an easily quotable film in the most absurd context of life. Um, and that is something I miss. Fake Boston accents, man. No one, people just look at me like I'm crazy now. Kids these days. Yeah, just be, yeah. Kids, you know, you can't just be insensitive towards a whole city anymore, Mike. We, we're, it's <laughs> the, the world is the world has passed you on. Oh. Um, I know it's tough times. Uh, I don't know. Was there anything else generally about the movie, or do you want to get into kind of just discussing it more in depth? Let's dive in, man. This is one of my favorites. I'm gonna cry. We'll laugh. We'll cry. We'll yell. Go socks. Probably. Well, you know. Um, we'll, we'll see. Um, okay. Uh, we divide the podcast up into a few different sections. We're going to start with what makes this movie work. We're going to move on to uh, what holds it back. We'll have some stray thoughts later and then some kind of more in-depth discussion beyond that. But we start by just talking about why this movie works and we both love this movie. So we probably will have a few things to say. Uh, I kind of hinted at this before, so I'm just going to lead with it because I think it's it's the most, if I needed to cite one single reason why this movie lands, I would say it's it's the writing. Mm, right? Yeah. Um, yep. Certainly there was some, some backdoor politicking behind the Oscar win, as always. But having said that, this is also not considered like a... It's not considered unreasonable that, that Affleck and Damon won uh, original screenplay for this movie. I, I, I think a lot about this sort of idea you sometimes hear where it's it's like you know a first album in the context of a band there's something special about it because yeah. they had so long to write it like you know the the quote is always you have your whole life to write your first album and then seven months to write your second um but but because of that effect like you do often see that that people will, will put so much care and finesse and thought into that first work of art that they obsess over for years. And I think you see that in this movie. You see how, you know, the characters have, there's something so real to them. I said earlier, they feel very rounded. I think one of the things I really love in this movie, this is like a little detail, but the fact that even like Lambeau, who's a character, the math professor played by Skarsgård, you know, that that's a character I, I would believe that maybe in the first draft of the movie or even the first few drafts had a relatively simple arc. Didn't really, you know, he has a role to play in the movie, kind of somewhere between villain and antagonist. Um, but by the time we get to when the movie is shot, he has this sort of, you know, this, this more complex layers to him, right? Like these things that get revealed over the course of the movie, this ending place that's a little bit more... Uh, thoughtful in terms yeah, of where we yeah. leave him, stuff like that. Like again, I, I think you know we're taught. We, you mentioned offhand the, all the, all the not so great dramas that we don't remember. Something like that is is like a, a point in this movie's favor that you would you wouldn't be surprised if it was missing from this kind of mid budget drama, right? Yeah, that, absolutely. That it would, you know, it'd be easier to just make like a a blank protagonist or sorry, a blank antagonist that is wholly irredeemable. That's a much easier way of writing. Uh, but this movie largely eschews that. I don't think there's any characters that don't have some level of nuance to them. Um, maybe, maybe Tom, the, the uh, assistant to Lambo, maybe that you. guy. How dare you? Uh, I'm sorry. Is Tom's your favorite character in the movie? He's I, amazing. I, I, I neglect What a yeah, journey. Go for Tom. What a hero's what, journey. What an arc on that guy. Yeah, man. Um, 
but yeah, I would. So it, you know, and and then obviously like the dialogue. I think there's just a there's a there's a reality. There's a verisimilitude to everything. Obviously, part of that can be projecting because I know that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were two Boston guys writing this movie about being Boston guys. So like, you know, I, I could be I, I could be inferring that, but there's there's there is a sense in the conversations and the dialogue and the situations that it just there's yeah there's just a realness to it i don't know how else to describe it yeah uh, what, what yeah. do you think mike writing just the writing of the movie in general no i i think the script is is definitively the best part of the movie apart from maybe one fine performance which we'll discuss later but it's it's just excellent casey I affleck mean, yeah and we are definitely talking yeah. about casey affleck and man the things Steals he the does show. The things he does with baseball gloves in this movie, hot damn! It is it's next level acting. You're so anyway, psyched to cite that specific scene. It is like it's been... weird. Anyway, so um, yeah, yeah. This movie, its script is amazing. The bones of the movie, I would say, are just uh, flawless, and I think that's probably why it gets ripped off so much, or why it's people strive to essentially recreate it in their own image for the next decade afterwards. Um, and often fail to do so is that this movie has just been so lived in so obsessed over like you said first album that's a great comp uh, these people have so thoroughly invested both their like energy and their their intellect and their thought but also clearly their experience and I think that's where you're coming from when you talk about it as as almost um, you know astoundingly grounded in terms of the dialogue and how these characters engage with each other and how lived in they feel is that it's like these conversations feel like they were clearly pulled from the real people in which the Matt Damon and Ben Affleck grew up with or knew or engaged with or at least had encountered in their lives. And and that gives it just an unbelievable connecting point for you as an audience member. Right. Um, there's yeah. always something strange when you watch a movie and everyone feels, you know, a thousand degrees removed from you, either because they are inhuman or superhuman or whatever. And you're not going to feel that way watching Good Will Hunting. You're going to feel like this is your neighbor. This is a friend you grew up with. This is a conversation you might have had when you were 20. And I think that's that's just a feat in and of itself to do that, to do that and make it feel so natural for someone who also didn't grow up in Boston, but can still feel like this is like almost plucked from my life in obviously not the the math genius sense but in the everyday moments that like make you laugh when you think back on them i don't know and that that's just really cool and it's also what makes this movie i think so rewatchable for me and so so easily to intertwine with my nostalgia is that there is something yeah. of a a homecoming and a friendship that i feel and a warmness in watching these characters interact um i think beyond that it's just like a a perfectly three layered movie. And what I mean by that is like the script is emotional and we'll get into our favorite scenes later, but you know, the, any, everything from the bench scene to the, uh, the conversation about missing the baseball game to the, all the way to the, it's not your fault breakdown. I mean, they're just gut wrenching affecting scenes. Second layer is it's funny. 
I mean, the entire monologue yeah. about putting Morgan's burger on layaway is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in any script. Like when he you don't think with... it was a little too much smarmy Affleck. You think you think it lands? No, no, I... it's so funny. I could totally see myself like ripping like you about that, like in the back of the car, and you're getting sick of it. You're like, can I please just get my burger because like the bits run too long, and it just ends with me throwing the burger at you, saying, "Here's your effing double burger." I mean, I just think that's hilarious, but there's a thousand different moments like that right like uh ben affleck with the retainer there's just like so many funny bits in this movie and then the third layer is it has just great singular scenes like scenes that you just never forget which again we'll go over later when we start talking about some of our favorite scenes but if you think about that it's emotional it's funny and has scenes that stick with you years later what else do you want from a movie right what else do you want from a script that covers it yeah I'm I'm there for all of that. I totally agree. You mentioned uh, the scenes. We want to just maybe maybe just cop a few scenes real yeah, quick. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I th- I think there's both you and I would would cite very quickly. Uh, I'm gonna guess as your favorite scene. I know it's one of mine. The scene where um, Sean is talking to Will. So Robin Williams' character Sean is talking to Will in the park on their mm-hmm. second ever meeting. Right. Yes thought about what you said to me the other day about my painting uh, instead of half the night thinking about it something occurred to me I fell into a deep peaceful sleep and I haven't thought about you since you know what occurred to me no you're just a kid you don't have the faintest idea of what you're talking about why thank you it's all right um, this is, of course, where where uh, my intro monologue comes from, quoted virtually verbatim. Um, yeah, not as good, not delivered re- as well. But really he, ahead of his okay. time uh, on his Cameron takes in 1997. <laughs> uh, of course, this was, by the way, the Titanic here. I just I just realized that. that Wouldn't was that literally yeah. be the least like innovative take ah. <laughs> if he had it the year Titanic came out? It's like, oh, big take. James Cameron's good at making movies. Who knew? Uh, but that seems just incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. I think it, it demonstrates what we're talking about in terms of that. It, it's just one of those scenes that floor you when you first yeah. see it. I, I think yeah. it's also, you know, it's the writing. Obviously, that's just a tremendous speech. It's the acting, which we're going to get to the actors probably after this. But Williams just crushes it. But then there's, you know, talking about the scene, the filmmaking of the scenes. Like, there's just tremendous filmmaking here. I, I think that. You know, the detail that, that I, I picked up on, I think Mike pointed out to me at some point, but the way that, you know, first of all, this is one long shot. Of course, movie nerds like to like to, you know, freak out about that. But it is <laughs> it does demonstrate really amazing acting and really amazing filmmaking, but especially the way that the, the camera is on this really yeah. long swivel over the course yep. of the shot. And because of how long it's taking, we start out with framing will and sean together as as sean or as will is still kind of being being kind of a jerk giving him some talk back and you know being a smart ass and then as we get into sean's monologue the camera has has swiveled until we just see his face so now we're just here in this moment with Rob, robin williams character as he's delivering this amazing speech and in a sense i think that helps promote you getting lost in the speech you're not yeah. thinking about will so much as you are just the words and then just at the perfect moment when he sort of ropes Will back into it, when he gets to that point about there's nothing about you I can't read into a book, somewhere around there is when we've swiveled far enough that Will is back in frame. 
Yeah. And we see him again for essentially the first time, not being a smart ass, not being the one who has the answers, who's shutting people down around him, just looking off into the distance right as Williams has started to address him again. Right. Yeah. And I think like that progression, the way that it, uh, again, we're using the filmmaking to keep us engaged, but also to tell a story within the scene. Like the camera itself is telling a story, stuff like that's just incredible. And it's what makes, you know, I I think that's just high. uh, One metric I've started using to, to quantify extremely rewatchable scenes is what you, what you just look up, on youtube at like a random tuesday at, at 5 p.m you're just like you know i, I kind of i want to rewatch the the park scene right i want i want to see the speech again uh i that's it's just up there i think it's probably the first one i go to when i yeah. when i am thinking about this movie could not agree more and it's such a uh fascinating compliment to the previous scene in which you know will gets the best of robin williams character uh where he kind of really gets under his skin and his smart assness really leads him to have like an explosion out of character. And you just really feel like if this is a boxing match that will has landed, you know, a pretty intense blow. And I mean, after this, you know, series of therapist scenes in which he did land a knockout blow, you're kind of wondering, Oh, is this a knockout blow? Obviously it's Robin Williams. So, you know, it's not, he's not going to disappear from the movie, but as you said, like the use of camera, what's so cool about it is that, as it zooms in on Robin Williams, you still hear those snide comments coming from someone who thinks that he won the last bout that he's won the fight Mm. because he landed a blow. And essentially what the turning of the camera is capturing is this monologue is just eviscerating Will's character. It is laying him bare for the first time in his life. So that by the time, and I actually love what you said, by the time it swivels back to Will, you see a devastated and broken man. (laughs) Honestly, a man laid bared for the first time in his life. And that's really cool because I actually really loved what you also said is that you're so transfixed on the words coming out of Robin Williams' mouth that only when he comes back or Will comes back into the shot do you realize and actually reflect on how devastating this moment is. And that becomes the launching point for the rest of their relationship. And I just think that's that's an amazing craftsman, like an example of craftsmanship. So. Yeah, I think it's it's the most meaningful scene to me. It's also the most technically skilled scene in the movie, as far as I'm concerned. Totally agree. What what else you got in terms of scenes? I, I have a few, but I don't want to take all the take all of them from. Yeah, me. I think for me, it, like the second one is always the the you know the the conversation about missing the Red Sox playoff game. It's yeah, it's that was just like be my yeah yeah yeah. It's just a phenomenal little scene. I mean, I don't think you can overstate how like into the story you get the first time you see this movie like you are right there with will like wanting to jump out of your seat and i don't even like baseball like i don't even think baseball's an interesting sport but as robin williams you know is telling it with such charisma and such like excitement man you are just there and when he drops the truth that he wasn't there and then obviously just the powerful moment where he's just like i don't why would I regret missing a ball game? Like, that's not what life's about. That's not what's important. Like I met my wife and it was like, this is a pivotal turning point in my life. And, and really like one of those apocalyptic moments in which like our values are turned upside down in which I get a moment of clarity or like, why on earth would I risk missing something meaningful, like a meaningful connection for a baseball game? Right. 
And you almost yeah. feel like the same bottoming out as Will does, where you're just like, oh, crap. Oh. What an astoundingly <laughs> a good point that is, Mr. Mister Williams. <laughs> like, And yeah, it's just, a, it's just a great scene. And again, it's one of those moments where you're drawn in so that it can hit you with a punch that maybe you don't see coming or that you're not supposed to see coming. Yeah. And then obviously, in terms of a brilliant choice, getting the actual scenes of the game is just... Yeah. One, it's really hard to well, do. Well, further draws yeah. you into the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and it's really hard to do. Uh, these major league sports do not give away their film, especially in the '90s. It was not a common thing at all. So you know they had to twist some arms and pull some strings to do that and fork over some money. But man, it's one of those moments as a as a directorial choice or as a scriptwriter. I don't know whose choice it was. To get that into it takes it to another level because by the end of it, you are just so in the moment with them and i think yeah. that just takes the emotional impact of it to a whole nother level it's just so cool such a cool scene i totally agree i don't have much to add i would just say uh i think it's also it's it's an acting showcase on both sides right yeah. it's robin yeah. williams being a tremendous storyteller but also if, if will isn't getting so hyped you kind of don't get cued to get as hyped as he does right yeah. like him standing up and they start circling each other and he's he's gesticulating he's like i can't believe you were at that you know he's just so into it that it sells you on the story as well and you're and yeah. you're also suddenly you're right i mean like i also don't particularly care about baseball uh started you started watching the 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 mets recently that's yeah. been a huge bummer poor that's choice just been a, a bad life decision <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every, every single <laughs> person who's become a mets fan in the last 30 years has felt that way john I that's you know and, and i think there's something in the melancholy that i like about that right <laughs> probably gonna become a knicks fan soon too. <laughs> just i just i just kind of like that outlook on life of like yeah well, i think things, opioids you know, are right around the corner better. for you bud <laughs> just yeah soon, not long i i also uh, real quick real quick i want to show yeah. out one other small thing about that scene and it really this kind of goes back to the script writing but another thing this movie does really well is they have these little little small bits that release the pressure of a scene that is like maxed out in pressure so like it'll build the emotional just like restricting sensation of just weight to an all-time high and then will will say something like uh, would have been nice to go to that game, though. And Robert Williams, what does he say? He's like, well, I didn't know he was going to hit a walk-off home run or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and it laughs. And there's like, and that, that seems like a really small point, but that's actually just really good script writing because if it had just left you at the point of like uh, Williams' monologue about losing and or finding and losing his wife, I think that mm -hmm. just kind of leaves you in a funk of like almost like yeah. it's powerful, but it's also depressing. And this film's really good at knowing when in such moments they need to just give you a little bit of a joke to release yeah. the tension. And that's a classic scene for that, too. I'd say it balances tone really well in it general. Does. Yeah. Because the, there's a lot of really intense scenes in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, but mostly it's offset. I don't think of it as an intense. I mean, it's it's not like an easy watch, but it's not like an intense watch, right? Yeah. yeah. It's not like sitting down to like... To, I don't know, something re, you know, saving private Ryan or something. Um, it's, it's certainly like a, you want to rewatch the movie, I would say. And that's, yeah. that's super important. Honestly, I, you know, so there's the, there's the classic, it's not your fault. Uh, I'm, mm. I'm not actually going to cite it as like necessarily one of my favorite scenes is extremely effective. Uh, it totally fails my test of scenes that 
I like go to rewatch, you know, I I don't think I ever, I'm never just sitting around like, Oh, let me like go through the journey of recovery from, from, you know, abuse as a child, uh, on this, on this lovely afternoon. Uh, but it's a great scene. Uh, You know, obviously it's famous for a reason. Um, it's funny because every other scene I can think of is very small moments. I think about, uh, mini driver, and uh what what's oh, geez what's her character's name again uh his well's girlfriend in the skyler movie. come on skyler man. right uh based actually you know now that i say it based on on matt damon's girlfriend at the time he was writing the script um her name was skyler but at any rate i think about like them in the uh in the little knickknacks shop yeah uh yeah. you know on their first date on their first real date something like that's extremely small scene but the 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 charisma of the actors um the setup the way that they you you buy their bonding in that moment stuff like that there's a lot of little scenes like that that i think in addition to all these big scenes like you know i'm sure ben affleck's speech um you know the the last scene is incredible the 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 letter he sends to sean stuff like that all the big scenes land and, and you know we could go through each of those if we wanted but just as a note, all these little moments really matter. Like the che- the cheeseburgers in the car, like you're talking about. Stuff like that just gives a little weight to the characters. Gives a little, what I was saying earlier, makes everything feel round and whole and 3D and real. Um, so those scenes, I think, like as much as we will talk about later, you know, kind of a maybe maybe a little bit of a long movie, but those scenes still land, I think, or are still are still really meaningful. And for the most part, I think necessary for, for the movie. Yeah, I agree. And you know, even, and it's funny cause it's like, even the scenes that aren't necessary, man, I'm just glad they exist. Like, you know, I think of the NSA interview, I think we both would agree really strange, like unnecessary thing to throw into the middle of the movie. Obviously just, first one on the chopping block for me, uh, to get this yeah, movie yeah. below two hours. Yeah. And, but, it, and it's obviously just like a writing flex and it's just them trying to like, say something that does not need to be said in this particular movie. Um, whatever point they're trying to make about America, the NSA, and yada, yada, yada. But it's still, like, such a cool, like, such a well-written scene. It's so interesting. It's so funny. It's such a uh, a, a quirk or a uh, snarky monologue that I still like it. I still enjoy it. Obviously, if I was trying to make this movie not super long, uh, it's, like you said, one of the first to go. But I still appreciate it. And then obviously, yeah. like, who hasn't had a shower, you know, daydream about, you know, laying out some preppy snob like he does about <laughs> the rant, the library card, right? Where he's yeah. reciting the various books word for words. I mean, it's just like a great, 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 great little sequence that obviously has a very uh, long footprint in terms of how lasting it's been. But, you know, all those are, are what, 30 second little moments in this film is yeah. full of them. And I think that's one of the cool parts about it. Kind of like what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, I honestly don't necessarily have any other scenes I, I really want to call attention to. Do, do you, did you have one more, one or two more? No, I think I'm, I'm good. I, I think it's a good transition to talk about the people who inhabit such scenes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the, I mean, the actors are just incredible. This is, this is actually probably the thing I most miss uh, we are talking earlier about the, the, you know, lamenting the death of the mid-budget movie. Yeah. Like, you got this this movie with... And to be fair, two of the big triple, triple A stars in this movie 
they have because they weren't triple A stars, right? Yeah, Ben Affleck and, and Matt Damon. So so they get to sort of cheat a little bit in that regard. Um, having said that, it's still you, you look at the cast of this movie and it, it's just great all around. And I think everyone is so well cast. Uh, special shout out to all the Boston people being so incredibly Boston. Obviously, <laughs> most of them are from Boston, right? Um, you just buy it. And there, there's like I said, it, it contributes to the verisimilitude of, of, of what you're watching. You just you just really accept that the banter, especially of the four friends and the style of them and, and the way that they hold themselves and carry themselves and talk to each other. It just all feels so real and, and so lived in um, the standout, you know, Robin Williams. What do you think? Is this a top? Is this your top Robin Williams uh, dramatic performance or maybe any performance? I, it, I'm going to give I, I guess I'll answer for me. I'm going to give the slight edge to Dead Poets Society. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even though it's in some ways a much smaller role like he, he if you think about it, he doesn't have much of a character arc in the movie. I think I just like that movie slightly better. And, and I like the, I think that character has a similar impact on you, the viewer as he's having on the kids of the movie. And that's hard to overstate. And he just, he just destroys that role. Um, having said that it's so remarkable watching this movie because it's so different than even his other dramatic roles. Yeah, right. It it, is. It's so yeah. like understated. It's, it, it's, it's, he's he's so quiet in the movie he he under talks he under moves he emphasize and what's cool about that is there are a couple mo moments where like his physical actions manifest very dramatically mm -hmm. but he ends up calling attention to that by playing every other moment so so low key right? for sure yeah um and i think what's what's cool is is all of that demonstrates that it's not that he was locked into being this over-the-top outlandish physical performer. It's that he had such control over his physical performance, right? Yeah. So when the movie called for it, he would be this, like, like more than any other actor he'd ever seen, you know, his ability to go, uh, we all know, like, crazy and zany and, and, and moving so much and, and, you know, coked out of his mind in terms of how you how you perceive it. Like, he could do that. But it wasn't that that was his only speed. It's just that that's what he could get to if the performance demanded it. And when the performance like this movie demanded him to be extremely understated, he could do that too. Like, like I think in the first half of the movie, besides the, when he lashes out at will, he probably burns like five calories, right? Like he's, he's just, he looks so stilted. And so, and, and you know, the character is so aggrieved and you sense that because he's so closed off and, and shuttered and, inward and still projecting a certain warmth and emotional intelligence but not 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 in this like boisterous way obviously like yeah. whatever the most opposite of that that's that's kind of stunning if you think about again what his characters mostly were like up to this point uh i hope that's right i can't think of another movie before this point that he he exercised that uh maybe what dreams may come or something like that i haven't really seen that movie so i don't know um, I've heard not great things about it. That's why I haven't seen it. But, but yeah, it's just, it, it's so counter to his other roles. And yet you also see the through line yeah. of how it's related to those. Absolutely. I mean, it's a tour de force and I think it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think I could say it much better. Um, I think he is so good in this movie at 
being someone who's putting on a brave face, you know, like he's, he obviously is wise. He's obviously really smart. And it's almost like he uses that Robin Williams charm, but makes it fragile a lot of the times where it's like very clearly the jokes are hiding a very pained person, like someone who is in just deep despair and and suffering and heartache. And that's just like a really like to act to do what you do normally and add a level of perceived strain running underneath it just seems almost harder than doing something wildly different than you would normally do. You know what I mean? Like to, to, to add a level of nuance to it, um, it's just really impressive. And, and then that's before what you said, where he has, has a very, um, very great ability to turn on and off the physical acting that he's really known for. And to use that as a tool, as, as a tool and a much larger tool bag than just like all he's doing. I think one of the things that always, you know, impresses me in this movie is that he does you know, bring out what makes him Robin Williams every now and again. Like he, uh, I know I always think of the scene where he's teaching at the community college and he's talking about Freud and doing cocaine and you're like, Oh, there's classic Robin. Right. But that's just like a throwaway bit. And it's not the center. It's not the gravity of the character. Um, it's not even the central focus of the character and for him to be able to, it's not even presented in the same way as his normal, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it, 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 it feels like a layer of this of this very deep and complex person, not as the, the core attribute. And I think that's, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't think of any other comedic actor who can, who can do that. I mean, we even talked about The Truman Show and how much we admire Jim Carrey. And even then, some of Jim Carrey's Jim Carrey-isms bleed into parts of that movie where they don't belong, and it becomes distracting. And that never happens in this film. Not a single time is Robin Williams switch into Robin Williams mode in a way that makes it feel like, oh, I'm watching Robin Williams instead of like this, this really well fleshed out character. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's unbelievable in a lot of ways. I, I, I'm so deeply impressed by him in this movie. Um, especially when you think of his career up until this point, which isn't to say that we didn't, we didn't, it's not like we didn't know he had dramatic chops or that he had this emotional streak or this ability to riff and be hilarious in spots. But this is just the most pure, excellent example of it. Mike, I have a correction too. He, he actually did win for best supporting actor for this movie. Do you know who he beat? No. Our, our boy, uh, question mark, Burt Reynolds in Buggy Nights. Oh, is Jack Horder. That's deserved. Not going to lie. You think that's deserved? I yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Burt biased. Reynolds is incredible I'm biased. in that movie. I'm biased. You're biased. Yeah. Yeah. I love Burt. I love you, Burt. But, but no, I think, I think this performance is a is one for the ages. It's just so good. Yeah. Um, Matt Damon. Incredible. Great work. Uh, also, no, also nominated. I didn't realize for hmm. best actor. Interesting. Um, great. Yeah, it's early Damon. It, it's funny because it's a tempo that I want to say he very rarely ended up going to. In later, like you know, the obvious one is is talented Mr. Ripley. Sure. Uh, besides that, he's it's not really the kind of role he would end up doing. You know. Yeah. Um, but he still, it's great, and and I think. Both him and, and to a lesser extent, Ben Affleck, just because the role's not as meaty. But both of them, you get to see uh, 
sort of the ways that or, or the benefit I, I think of having the writers as the actors um very famously they, they part of their motivation to get the movie made was that they felt that they were at the very last point where they could believably play the characters mm. at their ages <laughs> that's pretty and frankly funny. they kind of <laughs> i think they kind of stretch it a little bit sure i'm always shocked they're, they're, the scene in the movie where um will has his birthday and, and we learn he's turning 21 every time that happens in the movie i kind of cock my head a little bit i'm like huh what this, this what is very that? clearly 30 year old person 28 year old person's turning 21 what, uh, what? okay what? um strains believability but but i i guess i agree with her assessment barely believable right like yeah, like one sure. year later it, it would have just been ridiculous yeah um but you do i i think you see the the benefit of like they they know these characters right yes. they, they've they've lived these characters they've they've written these characters for so long that every element of the of the personality feels very lived in and, and very fully realized yeah i can't agree more i mean matt damon in particular as well he's just such a uh such an uh, an obvious like thought after and 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 worked on character and and matt damon brings him to life in a way that is 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 beautiful i mean he's perfectly vulnerable and fragile i always forget how like legitimately dangerous he is you know i think that's actually one of the more impressive parts of the performance is that uh man that scene where he gets arrested which he literally gets arrested for jumping some dude who was mean to him in kindergarten that he saw driving by but yeah the scene where he's like pounding his face into the ground is is terrifying it's just like hey maybe this guy should be in prison for a very long time uh and yeah i i think he combines that with just the the sheer you know snarkiness that's obviously defense mechanism sheer um honesty of the scenes where he's with skyler all mixed in with this character that is on the verge of having like his entire sense of self fall apart at any moment because of his traumatic upbringing into a character that feels incredibly real and just incredibly fleshy and and raw and also likable which i think you know we'll talk about the breakup scene later but i think it's critical that he's likable because there's a lot yeah. of ways in which this character can be very unlikable and the heartbeat of this movie flies into the gutter very soon after i mean you want to talk about a film that doesn't work if you don't like will this movie doesn't work it doesn't work at uh, all can i be honest with you yeah i actually don't know what you're talking about i i the, no part of will feels charismatic or interesting to me until he starts like therapy no that's what i mean like, sorry that's what i mean oh, that's okay, what okay, i mean okay. yeah, yeah i'm not talking about pre I'm like, i'm talking I'm like, about I'm over the character until that point oh no he's I dangerous see, I see he's dangerous yeah. and crass and like not likable i'm saying once you get to know him he has to be lovable okay like you I'm have there. to want I'm him there. to win yeah. right you have to want him to succeed or this film is asking a lot of you and you will not meet it halfway um if you don't I want him once he's in therapy to heal you know what i mean yeah, um 100% I, and, I, agree. I agree and then and I, I want to just make a note just to say I did it but I also want to note that the chemistry between Damon and Williams is also pretty critical to this film's success 
They just have a spark yeah. together. It's wonderful. I feel bad for Matt Damon because he's doing great, but he's getting acted off the screen like <laughs> nine out of ten times that they're together. But given that he also wrote the movie and needed it to be a success, I'm sure he didn't. Yeah, really I don't mind. think he cares. <laughs> he was, yeah. Uh, but it's also a, a pretty critical part of this film working. If those two characters don't work together and you don't feel like they like each other and you don't feel like you know the scene where he's like uh is it illegal and he says only if you grab my butt like if that doesn't feel like a very legitimate warm moment between friends the movie falls apart at least to some degree um everyone else i uh, pretty pretty quick takes on i think uh you know affleck kills it of course uh well that was a that was for later so we'll, we'll save that um affleck kills it i think as the friend uh he obviously has that one speech uh, very famously does in one take, I think. Like mm-hmm. they, he just get the cameras rolling, recorded, and they were like, "That was it. You nailed it." I'm sure they got a couple more for safety, but still, another cool, um, uh, another cool directing choice too. To have that scene kind of be yeah. over Affleck's shoulder, focused on Damon when it's really like, I mean, also kind of a humble scene for for Affleck. It's like he finally gets a spot in the sun, and to surrender the script to have that directing choice be allowed is is pretty pretty admirable yeah. because it makes the scene work a lot better absolutely uh mini driver what happened to mini driver i don't know I, man I, she's like the secret like mvp the, of this movie yeah like, i think uh, you know they're i already you know mentioned it earlier but but their relationship actually plays really well that i you know that was something that I, I think I'm consistently surprised yeah, going back yeah. to the movie. I, I sort of like both the fact that it's a nineties movie. It, it's, it's just before manic pixie dream girl becomes really mainstream. And somehow I always assume the movie's going to fall into a lot of pitfalls. I, I don't think she's necessarily the, the greatest character ever written. The biggest problem is she's of course missing like an arc yeah. in terms of, she doesn't really change beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. That's not actually a huge flaw. Like, like most of the characters don't because you know, the movie's focused on its protagonist. Um, but it, it prevents her from being in some ways, a full character. She's, she's more in a sense from a story perspective background. Having said that, like I said, it mostly avoids pitfalls of those kinds of characters. I think, she she believably portrays both being in love with Will, but also needing Will to be more vulnerable with her, because that's the crux of the problem of their relationship, but also the problem of Will with the entire world, right? Yeah. Is that he can't be real with with anyone. Yeah. Um, and and so you have to buy her sort of driving the nail of that confrontation into into their situation, right? Mm-hmm and and it lands and it's great and yeah she has she has a really good job um i don't know if you have any thoughts on her or ben affleck i sort of steamrolled through both of them no no i i think um mini driver in particular uh when we talk about how this film's really long i always think when i start to rewatch it that i'm gonna end up with the take that they should cut her scenes and i always come away being like she should be in this movie more and that's yeah that's i agree pretty impressive i mean because I don't think that about a lot of things in this movie, because uh, it's long. So yeah, I think uh, the only other character for me, you know, I, I feel like we should shout out Casey F. Tom and oh, and Tom. And, <laughs> Tom, yeah, don't know the actors they not, not gonna look it up. Yeah, great and, job though. And that then guy, yeah. and then Cole Hauser. I mean, they yeah, they're Cole not, Hauser not asked to do a lot, but man, 
Every time they show up, I'm glad they're there. Um, and, and they're also pretty critical for that rant, you know, that Williams gives the Skarsgård about, like, why Will has them. Like, when he yeah. when he puts words to that, you're like, oh, yeah, that is why they're always around. Oh, no, listen, Jerry, and why does he hang out with those retarded gorillas, as you call them? Because any one of them, if he asked them to, would take a fucking bat to your head, okay? That's called loyalty. Yeah, it's very touching. And who's he handling? He pushes people away before they have a chance to leave him. It's a defense mechanism, all right? And for 20 years, he's been alone because of that. Yeah, that's a great... Uh, and it also sets up, like, the problem with, with Skarsgård's character, with Lumbeau. Like, like yeah. you, you start really crystallizing at that moment the the elitism that he has right and mm-hmm. how he looks down on people like sean and like like them uh which speaking of which i was gonna say i actually thought you were gonna say i was Skarsgård. i actually was gonna say Skarsgård, oh, okay, okay. but yeah, then i remembered be... that i like cole, cole hauser better than him, so. <laughs> brutal tough take for uh for bill Skarsgård, huh? hey, uh, he, he beat yeah, Lewin Davis, so yeah. it's fine. yeah it's good times um yeah Skarsgård's great in this movie yeah uh uh i i actually you know, he kind of reminds me, I, I heard this great thing once about John Lithgow, uh, who I really like. And, and the comment solidifies that where someone was saying, you know, he's rarely like the big thing, the big draw in a movie, but he kind of, he makes every project he's in better. Yeah. Like anything he's in, I think like, you know, I think that'd be worse with almost anyone else I could think of. And and Skarsgård's in that territory where I'm like, you know, he's he's rarely like the, the big tentpole headliner. But anytime he's in a movie, I kind of think, you know, Eddie, I can't imagine who would have done that role better. Like he he sort he lands these weird little parts so well. And he's so good at this movie. And again, it's a quiet role. It's not he doesn't have any of the flashy scenes for the most part. Uh he did come up with the idea that his character is like like uh like a flirt, essentially, with all you know, he's constantly flirting with co-eds, which is a little creepy. Yeah, it's, but actually it does serve the role really well because it also serves to further separate him and Sean because of course, you know, their dichotomy I think is really key to the, is a really key cent- background theme of, of, of the movie, which is the way that Sean essentially gave up, you know, um, um, academic brilliance and, and, and recognition in favor of, of living a contented life. Lambeau is, you know, his whole point of his character is he only values people on their achievements. Yeah. He doesn't see past that. And to him, it's like, you know, I've done things and that's what makes me valuable. Yeah. And that's why why I look down on you, Sean. Of course, he's not that black and white because, again, he has this moment at the end where there's kind of an olive branch moment between the two characters and and almost a renewal of friendship despite that. Um, but, yeah, stuff like that, I think, is great. He just does a good job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyone else? Tom, biggest <sighs> character of the movie. My gosh, Tom! What an arc! What a change! What a transformation! Basically, um, just envious, envy. That's just that's that's the character. His character. He sells it. Is real uncomfortable. Um, I don't like it. Don't entirely okay, cool. understand why it's in the film. I'll be honest, but but at the same time, he I, he deserved an Oscar. So it, it's brutal, but like <laughs> like if we're being honest, actual like like chopping block. He has a couple seeds where he has like a little, like he has like one little speech that that's at least like four or five minutes. Like yeah. that's an easy. Yeah. If I was a producer in '97, that's just a, that's just the first one to go. Sorry, Tom. Like, Sorry, Tom. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Didn't make it. Um, everything else I have for why this works is a little bit, uh, pr- pretty small. 
so I guess I'll just pass. Do you have any anything else, Mike? I think the the I'm gonna leave the score to you, John, because uh, I know you. That got, was one of them. You want to talk I was about say... it? Well, hold on, yeah. hold on. It's my turn, John. So let's let's just let's just <laughs> you just take a said, step back. Like, said, I'll leave it to this, you when you, you want to go. Okay, to John. Listen. Yeah, what a nightmare. Listen. um yeah i think my last big one is the setting i mean it's just the the boston-ness of it all um you know we always i feel like every time we break up that the setting is a character in a movie we're we're like the first thing we say is this is usually a trite cliche line that isn't true and then we go on to say how it's true for the movie we're talking about um and this is one of those movies where it's true i mean this film is fundamentally different if it's not set in boston the general vibe the tone of the movie takes after boston even like the the smaller more subtle messaging of the film you know the contrast between rich and poor uh between you know the main characters our protagonists neighborhoods bars work life and then the ones that they have to journey to uh, that their friends work at and don't actually get to experience that are filled by these harvard kids i mean these are just like small parts of the film that are critical to the film's actual message and ultimately uh the lives the, the that lived in experience or lived in feeling of its characters right um i actually can't it's one of the few movies that i truly can't imagine it set anywhere else so yeah. i i just feel like you got to set it out i mean i always think to that small moment where they know the doorman at the harvard bar obviously not because he goes there but because he works there and also has to travel from their rundown neighborhood to his job to deal with these people who like Skarsgård do not respect them and actually don't even see them as valuable. And that's the through line of the film, even if it's never really touched on with an overt heavy handed kind of ness that a lot of movies, maybe with more intentional messaging would try to. So shout out to Boston. Go Sox. Yep. Uh, The only, (laughs) I I will say we're in what works. So maybe I should save this, but I I do think uh, the bar that Sean goes to it's, it's kind of laying it on thick at that point. You know what I sure. mean? Like that, that's the sure. only part of the movie that feels like slightly caricature where it's like, it just is so obsessed with like calling attention to look, Sean is like homely and goes to a bar with people that have been here their whole lives and knows everyone you, by why name. Do you hate and look Boston? how, and look how, and look how out of place like Skarsgård's character is that he's like, can I get a, was he asked for like a wine or something? You heard it here. Like, John bus unions. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> I know you agree with me. So keep He's doing the scab. bit, but keep doing the bit if you want. But, but I know that, that you have the same. You thing. moved that to New York and became an elite. <laughs> okay. I'm going to move on. Um, you said the soundtrack. There, there is an original soundtrack. Uh, for the film uh, that's really good, I actually should have looked up who made it. So let me let me. This is your thing, briefly John. Move aside and just type in a couple things here. Man, just, we never did get very good at stalling, did we? No, our narration is real bad. We like narrate our oh, stalling. Oh, hey, uh, I said Ben Skarsgård earlier. That's his son. This is Stellan Skarsgård. That is true. Can't believe he didn't. Can't believe you didn't correct me on that, Mike. What are you? What kind? What kind of uh, support are you on this show? Also, Alexander Skarsgård, which is like super weird. He's got to a think, whole little whole little family of uh, super weird actors, to think I that guess. that stud muffin is, is Stellan Skarsgård's son, like because he's one of the most attractive people alive. Um, 
but here Man, we are. Tough, tough pull for for Stellan Skarsgård, huh? Danny well, he, Elfman. He did play writer. a slug. So, well, you know, um, Danny Elfman, great score. A lot of little incidental. I think the piano thing. Funnily enough, I associate it. I feel like it became kind of a meme. I might be thinking of something else, but I think like like the that little like dripping kind of piano thing behind like behind like well being smart and like reading that kind of comes up a few times and that that almost strikes me as funny now but not because it's bad just because of you know uh i think about jokes uh you know basically the internet has ruined my generation yeah it has ruined everything um <laughs> forever yeah obviously uh but i mean that's great but what i really love of course in this movie is elliot smith uh contributes a couple songs i think Ms. misery he wrote for this and then it comes up on an album a few years later after his death uh but I love Elliot Smith and like those songs are so good for this movie. Uh, he was nominated for this movie too, a nominated for Academy Award. Um, but yeah, I, I just love Elliot Smith and I love those songs. Also used very well in the movie, very key times. I think about when yeah. he's on the subway uh, after, uh, I'm pretty sure after like, like Sean's kicked him out, right? Like Sean's basically been like, listen, we've developed this relationship, but you, you are still refusing to, uh, go further in life and we can't and we can't continue this until you are willing to take a step forward uh, which is a very key scene and i think that's so that song and, and that performance of of elliot smith uh really kind of kind of grounds you a little bit yeah. right like it, yeah. it, it really elevates the stakes in a really really lovely way i think um, it, it's really funny because you brought up how soon after this movie manic pixie dream girl comes around and it's also like how soon after this movie there are there's just like this strain of hard to love white men who meet the woman of their dreams and break the relationship kind of movies of which the manic pixie dream girl often falls into and in that same vein there's always like a needle drop for like white guy looking out window to reflect on basically how much of a dick he is man so, so, so such a call out you're you're calling out uh garden state so so i, I wasn't right gonna now. say it it's pretty, we were all we all knew <laughs> we all knew everyone uh, listening you see garden state is like he's just describing garden state word for word it's brutal but, man but zach the, braff somewhere just getting sad i know hey you know what i like rolling, garden state rolling, a lot rolling in, in high money. school so anyway i also like that one is like tough on it's the a rewatch, tough hang right? now i uh, yeah. yeah anyway but this movie uses that kind of trope to great success in the sense that it adds yeah. to the movie it doesn't it's not like i think there's something weird about we'll just say garden state as a hypothetical <laughs> in which like <laughs> the the needle drops actually distract you from how crappy the character is and try to like make yeah. him seem more nuanced than when you like you stop and go wait a minute you're not a thoughtful person this at all. This guy's trash. <laughs> and this is the opposite. Like, there's, it, it does add a layer of reflectiveness that feels genuine to the character and moves the story. So I think it adds a lot to the film. Totally agree. Uh, I only have one other thing for why this movie works. And I, I put it at the end of my critique because it will actually, I think, segue us very nicely into what doesn't work. Um, but it is a big thing. It's an important thing to mention because Mike and I... Uh, as listeners of the show will know, have gone on, go on incessantly about things like recovery and spirituality and stuff like that, which is to so this movie, obviously, you know, therapy is a big part of the movie and Will's kind of emotional journey towards, towards self-acceptance and things like that. And what I think this movie captures extremely well, 
uh, I wrote down is, is the portrayal of the journey of recovery, mm. right? Because we because recovery is a state of basically like being able to come to terms with past trauma and beget a journey of healing. And I, I think, you know, in fact, I, I would struggle to think of mainstream media portraying that better in almost any context. Yeah. I, I don't know, Mike. Yeah. Do you can you think of anything that that comes close to this? Like, it, it's such it, it does such a great job of of giving you this character, showing you their their like the ways that that they can't interact correctly with the world. And correctly is maybe not the best word, but they can interact with the world in a healthy way, right? Mm-hmm. And and they can't let people in, even people that they love, even people that love them. And that's all because of these things that had happened to him. And the whole movie is about him getting to this state of being able to, you know, come to terms with that and confront that and look at it in the face, but know that it doesn't define him. Right. And I, I think that's such a beautiful and important journey. Um, I do have a follow-up statement, which begins why this doesn't something that doesn't work in this movie, but just before we get to that, was there anything you have on, on, on that, on the way this movie, and I think we'll maybe talk about this later in, in, in the context of just discussing kind of the spirituality of the movie, maybe to a certain degree, but before that, just generally, do you have anything on that? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think in terms of what an alcoholic or, or drug addict would call step one, which is admitting we are powerless over like our insanity, um, or over these things that have like whether they're character defects or trauma responses or defense mechanisms, all of the above that have essentially like become our personality and have become things that just fire without us realizing it and have just made a mess of our lives. And like you said, make us incapable of truly connecting with like the present moment or others um, or even in a remotely way healthily planning our future like that moment of naming our truth like the reality of our pain naming our pain our brokenness that root problem that we have been avoiding our entire lives and that now we must confront if we are going to move forward in any way that we could considerably like even consider calling reasonably defined by wholeness like that moment of confrontation this movie depicts beautifully it depicts it profoundly it depicts the catharsis of finally naming it it depicts the the hardship of coming to that death of self where you admit that you are something that you've been a trying that you've been trying to avoid admitting your entire life, whether that be an addict or uh, someone who is deeply and disturbingly abused or whatever else. It depicts the sheer like weight and the the viral spread of it into literally every part of your character and life um, in the way that it just seeps out whether you realize it or not into these things that are just self-destructive or um, in worst case, destructive to others. I just think that's all amazing in this film. I think th- I, I do not think a movie does it better shows the journey yeah. to that admission in that step one and that willingness to with clear eyes, look at oneself in the mirror for the first time. Um, and as I'm sure you are about to transition to, the problem is, is that is the beginning of a therapeutic journey. Well, and, and, and it's, it's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny because it's. It, I almost feel bad bringing this up because it's like, you know, what is the movie trying to portray? It's only because they 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 portray this as therapy. So so portrayal of journey of recovery. Why this movie works? It's incredible. 
why does this movie not work? What holds this movie back? The first thing is the portrayal of therapy. Um, there's a gimme just to start with, which is that the montage of the other therapists that Wills goes to, I know that's just supposed to be a joke, but like for what it's worth, no therapist in the world, at least in the modern world is like that. Like yeah, that is such sure. a over the top caricature. Uh, not even, I mean, the hypnosis guy is obviously crazy, but even the other guy, like if anyone, if you're, if you're a listener who's never been to therapy, just know that's not in any way what like a therapist is like there are boom, no therapists boom, that do boom, that boom. that sit there like a like a you know freaking like Freud or something like mm, yes yes mm. that is fast you know that's just not what they do yeah therapists actually are and actually to be honest with you sean isn't a particularly good representation of therapy either um i guess that's my next point yeah that, that's like the montage is just obviously crazy none of that's true but even sean and like, you know, this can be considered maybe a very specific case, but generally Sean is spending the movie trying to get Will to open up. And that's why I, I can frame it as like, if this is all basically leading towards step one of therapy slash recovery, whatever word you want to use, it makes sense. But if you yeah. think of this movie as a portrayal of therapy, it actually doesn't make any sense at all because yeah. like where the movie ends, like we were saying is literally the beginning it is literally like the first thing you have to get to. And that to, and just to be clear, that can take a while. That can take a year. And again, we're going to talk later. And, and, you know, for my part, I think it did take a long time in therapy before I got to that point. But the key thing is that is the beginning. Now yeah. the work starts of learning how to accept yourself, learning how to live in, in a way that's, that's con conducive to your own values with other people. Um, I think that's kind of kind of the meat of the thing. And the only problem is that the movie portrays this as an entire journey, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and describes it as that. And, and someone could reasonably watch the movie and think that that, that that is what a journey of therapy is, which it just isn't like, you know, they, they just end where really it begins. And, and like, I know in the context of screenwriting, like you, you know, you're not going to, uh, even though maybe this is a funny question, Mike, of like, if this is a TV show, a prestige TV show, like maybe that's the the move, right? You move the it's not your fault scene to the fourth of 10 episodes and the next six are, well, let's talk about you now. Like, cause that, cause that's, what's so crazy to me is like, yeah, I don't that think is so. the moment where they can actually start talking about, hey, uh, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what therapy is. I, I don't think so. I think, I think, <laughs> I think, um, actual work of therapy like cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy and, and yada yada and like actually changing um it's just not interesting it's, it's boring it's really boring yeah it's just like super boring <laughs> it's, it's the pits step yeah. one is really exciting and and step two Cathartic, that, like you said yeah, yeah step two which is like hope and the beginning of hope afterwards is really exciting but man, the uh, like, let's go and talk about this one memory and unpack like the narratives that you have formed from it that now show up and how you like think about yourself when you're breaking rocks at the work site and your your self talk. Like it's just not exciting. It's not sexy. It's not fun. It's not entertaining. It's yeah. Uh, so no, I don't think I think they would still shoot for the cathartic moment to be the climax of the thing. So that's why sorry, I, John. Mike, you and I need to, you and I need to write this show. It will it will not do well. <laughs> ah, we'll be boring. fine. <laughs> so all that to say, I get why it is the way it is, but it, it still is a little bit. It's a little bit like I guess I you know, 
it'd be nice if there was one really good portrayal of the wholeness yeah. of therapy somewhere, but there isn't. And again, I just think that the the other therapist montage, even if it's just a joke, uh, is is just a little a little inexcusable in terms of how ridiculous it is. Yeah. Like in an otherwise relatively re- realistic movie, it's just like no, that doesn't exist. That's All not. Right. Also, I say relatively realistic. I don't know if a super genius like will exists anywhere either <laughs> but you, you know besides that in terms of the characterization otherwise it's very realistic you're podcasting uh, with one those. john there, okay okay there we go you just see what does he say the 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 words just make sense to me you know yeah, it's right. just all it just all clicks my brain that's how, that's how you i feel, feel about podcasting <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you are the will hunting of podcasting. I've always said it. Uh, I have some more, but I'll throw it to you. What do, what do you got? Um, we already named a couple of mine. So, like, I think the lack of female character arc is noticeable in the sense that she doesn't actually get to, like, change in the film. Yeah. Not not a again, it's not a travesty on the level of Manic Pixie Dream Girl. She does have her own goals, her own ambitions, her own story, her own I mean she literally leaves well to do yep. her she doesn't, own. Yeah. She does not like give up herself to stay with this person. Who going into my second thing of what's tough or maybe what doesn't work this film is the breakup scene though very good in a lot of ways is really tough. I mean it's it's domestic violence. I mean it's physical and yeah. it's um and it when I was talking about these days a, we would say that's like a that's a lot a line somewhere I mean, I guess, you know, there is a, a sense where I think maybe, like, someone would judge for themselves, but it would just be really hard to imagine that scene and, and not thinking, like, you know, that's just a that's just a, a, a red flag. That's just, yeah. like, you can't, you shouldn't continue this relationship 100%. in any circumstances after that, you know? When I was talking about you have, Bill, or Will has to be likable, that's the strain that's, you know, stretches the credulity on that is that there's just that that moment you're like yeah i don't know if this guy's likable and i i honestly don't know if i hadn't already seen and loved this movie if i just saw it for the first time this week i i don't know how off-putting that would be um yeah so i agree yeah um we've hinted at this a lot so let's just get out of the way this movie's long man it is long it is a cool two let me i'm pretty sure Hundred, you know, it's funny. Hundred twenty six minutes, not as long as I thought in my head. So this Still. movie's slow. It, yeah, <laughs> slow slash long. It, it I, could have given that it's a drama that's mostly people talking to each other. Hundred twenty six minutes is not a short amount of time. Yeah, it's over two hours. Like it's, and it feels like it. And mm-hmm. and yeah, I just really feel like I mean, at this point, we might be a broken record on this. Like this could just be us. Maybe we should examine that at some point. Um. <laughs> But it does feel very long. It feels like, I mean, and really what we're saying is it feels like it could have been a lot shorter and just as effective, if not more effective. Yeah, I think I think maybe more than even just its length, there's just too much going on in this movie. And maybe that's why it yeah. feels that way. Like, there's just a lot of scenes and there's a lot of, of different ideas that you could tell that, like, as first-time screenwriters, and I think this is a pretty important thing to note, they're trying to fit in, like, every joke, plot line message ever. we have to get in the nsa scene we have 100%. to get in the the, yep. the guys at the you know when he gives them the car we have to give in the and those are important scenes sort of but yeah i, we I got, totally we gotta get that. tom like, in there he's gotta be we gotta get, tom is critical <laughs> to this movie 
But yeah, it I like feels, to imagine they're arguing with Gus Van Sant at some point. Van Sant's like, yeah. I just don't see a lot in the Tom character, and Affleck's there, like he's he's essential. It doesn't work. We, it doesn't work without Tom. <laughs> but yeah, it just feels overstuffed. So, um, and yeah. I think that contributes to it feeling too long. Yeah, uh, I only have one more. It's a huge bummer. Yeah, but, you know Let's it is it. what it is. Speaking uh, of slugs. This, Speaking, Jesus, this is a uh, big Weinstein movie, big Harvey Weinstein movie. Yeah. And there's like a string of movies between the 80s and 90s that are uh, huge bummers because a lot of them are really great movies. Uh, Miramax was in a very interesting kind of market position at this time. It, I, I almost predecessor to like A24, not in terms of uh, branding of studio. Like that's a relatively new thing, but just in terms of a small to medium budget film studio that reliably was doing things a little bit outside the norm and also marketing the hell out of it. Right. Um, And I think that was what, what um, um, Miramax brought to the table. Uh, But it's just like, it just sucks because there's so many movies from the eighties and nineties that are really, really interesting movies that uh, a huge part of why they were successful slash made in the first place is this monster and it's just like yeah not, not, i mean there's no end to that or there's no end point to this it's just like yeah nothing you can do about it uh just it's a stain on the movie and yep uh yeah it is what it is do you have any, do you have anything on that i don't know if there's anything else to say yeah i mean it's just it's just a bummer because it's it's yeah. like you said it's not even just one that he like it's it's like up there with um shakespeare and love where like this movie exists yeah. because of him it's like he he is the one who found it, who saved it, who had a deep hand in its Oscar push and its its marketing campaign and getting these people on the map and in front of cameras. And that just sucks. It's inseparable. Yeah. There are many Miramax movies that I have I don't associate with him at all, and this is not one of them. It's yeah. it's just it comes to mind. So um yeah, Slug Slugman ruins another one. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh Anything else? Why this movie doesn't work? I think I'm good. Well, let's get into stray thoughts. Mike and I each have some stray thoughts about this movie. We'll just trade them back and forth. Uh, getting drunk at a Little League game ah, when yes. when none of you are related to anyone there. Mm. That's just amazing energy. I don't know if it's like like Bostony, like I don't know enough about yeah, Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just the idea is just is just incredible to me. I, it's 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 not. I don't recommend this, uh, but I, I sort of I sort of love it. I, there, it's it's a very it's a great characterization. Is that is that something you would pull, Mike? Would you? You, would you, you heard, heard it here first, guys. John goes to playgrounds alone and <laughs> yeah, watches yeah, the kids yeah, play. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm not from Boston. I do not want to besmirch the city. I could see you yelling at a Little League game, but I yeah, feel like if, someone, if would, someone I have related a to you with child would be playing. Yeah. As someone who just became a parent, this is creepy. This is weird. This is uncomfortable. I don't understand it. I'll never understand going to children's sports games if you don't have a kid or a relative playing in it. That it, There has to be a high school game they can go to. There has to be. Like there has yeah. to be some, there has to be something that's not just kids. That's what I was stuck on when I, when I re- we watched the movie. I was like, wouldn't you be having a better time? Cause it's like, no one, they don't charge for movie. high school games. Yeah. But I mean, like, even if they're short on cash, it's like, you know, like, like high school games don't charge anything. And yeah. those are relatively 
relatively good players. Actually, FSU, I don't think, charged for baseball games or at least go some the, of them. Like, go they to the YMCA for... and watch pickup. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Dude, These literally anything. Anything else for uh, what you're doing right now. Great energy is what we're saying. Great energy. Uh, what, what do you got, Mike? Yeah, that was definitely one of mine. So um, shout out to how uncomfortable that scene makes me. Um, good times. Man, all I could say is the rat showing up on Matt Damon's railing at the end of the film okay. was really okay. weird. It was a weird, weird shot. I didn't really get Scorsese how Scorsese is going to catch a stray <laughs> in this episode of a totally unrelated movie. I just, you all, I just thought it was you weird. You all just don't appreciate the genius of that moment. I just thought it was uh, strange. We're just going to, we're just going to leave it there. We're just going to leave it there. I can't even, I'm too mad. I'm too weird mad. flex. Weird flex. None of you understand Martin Scorsese like I do, is what I'm trying to say. Um, it's weird how I got boxed in defending that so much. <laughs> I, know, I love it. Like, I, I, don't, I think I started with like, a, oh, you know, it's, it's not that bad of a moment to me. And then like over the course of the show, suddenly I have to act like it was like this amazing directorial decision. <laughs> it's brutal. I love it. Uh, Mike, you know what you know what's coming. You know what this moment is. Oh, okay. Let's go. Here we go. Let's do it. Worst hang. Uh, I I decide. I elected on. Could, there's. I I think it's between this character and Lambeau. Uh, but Lambeau seems relatively well adjusted when they're having a beer. That seems like I don't know an okay time. So I'm gonna go ahead and say worst hang, Morgan, or <laughs> Llewellyn Davis. Because Morgan had what Morgan has, and Casey Affleck kills in this movie. Because he has like, like, annoying little brother energy. Sure. That, yeah. That's so. I don't have a little sibling of any kind, but this I, I I can so perceive that this is what it's like. You don't either, right? You're the youngest sibling of of, of your brother, but I just feel like this is exactly what an annoying little brother who tags along with you and your friends like feels like, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, the added very similar to the fact that it is in fact Ben Affleck's little brother I hope he wasn't annoying him anymore as 28 and 27 year olds or whatever um but yeah what do you what do you got got for me Mike Morgan this just whiny annoying never has a job always mooching off of you uh telling you gross stories or, or doing gross things with your your childhood uh what was it baseball mitt yeah uh master, masturbating into a baseball I, mitt you know i was trying to keep yeah. this uh, a classy episode but thank yeah. you for just dragging us straight into the let's dirt just let's just um, rip the band-aid off okay yep i guess um, so uh yeah him come, or llewellyn davis what do you got for me Mike? <laughs> it's come to my attention recently that one yeah tyler a friend of ours, I was about to say his last name, and then he'd probably get killed by our adoring Do- fans. Dox him, yeah. Which I wouldn't want yeah. that. Um, but uh, we have a friend. Tyler Kerstetter of uh, 493 <laughs> Woodfield Lane, Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, phone number. If, no, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Credit card number, social. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just get, just get yeah, everything so out. So Tyler there. apparently is just real upset that Lewin keeps taking L's. Um, and yeah. all I can tell him is that that's probably Tyler if you're listening right now that's because you identify too much with literally the worst human being ever depicted in cinematic history i will yeah. definitely 100% pick Casey Affleck over Llewellyn Davis 
I get it. it it's, sometimes he's annoying. Yeah. Sometimes he bugs me. Sometimes he masturbates in my baseball glove. <laughs> but you know what he doesn't do? You know what he doesn't do? He doesn't sleep with my wife and get her pregnant and then pay for her abortion. <laughs> okay? So, you you, you know can't what? argue with this. You just <laughs> so, can't argue with it. It's, at it's, the end of the day, this, it's an easy one. At the end of the day, this train is still rolling. That's uh, right. Tyler takes, I mean, Lewin Lew Lew Davis takes an L. Uh, frankly, both of them do a little bit. Also, uh, crazy energy that, that like you're calling out one of our, probably one of our two only like real fans by name and just handing him an L in the middle of the episode. Love it, Mike. Uh, this is how you grow a podcast. You this said you, you did say pod. earlier you were the will hunting of podcasting and you have just demonstrated. I like them apple styler. There we go. Um, something we didn't talk about at all, I think, which is kind of surprising. This the original version of this script uh, actually was about 30% longer <laughs> and a huge part of the movie. It, was, it wasn't so much a drama as it was a drama thriller because the, the, what in the movie ends up being like this sort of offhand B plot about the NSA in the original script, it was actually a thriller because the NSA wanted Will hunting. And when he says, no, they they basically like are like we're going to rec recruit you against your will and it becomes like a thriller movie which does make sense to me when i think about the kinds of movies affleck would later uh direct and i yeah. think like co-write yeah like you know yeah. argo the the town stuff like that he did the town right yeah um yeah yeah argo the town gone baby gone. like that seems more in line with where he goes as a filmmaker he never really does like straight drama in this way again unless you count gone baby gone i don't know my kind of on the on the on the line between the two. Sure. Um, I guess I'm curious, Mike, do you think, I feel like we obviously got the better movie. Like this was actually, in fact, again, kind of a bummer, but this was, I think, a, a or no, this wasn't a, a wine. I was about to say this was a Weinstein poll, but actually this was still when the movie was at uh, Castle Rock. This was Rob Reiner. Yep. Uh, gave, gave them the feedback. He said, cut out all of that focus the movie on on will and sean in therapy because that was weirdly that was like a b plot from what i understand and the main plot was the thriller the nsa stuff which is an amazing take from rob reiner um what i'm curious about mike would you watch if they like today made that version of the movie just said let's just redo this one and just make that thriller like how interested are you in that movie i, I think given I think Argo's a really good movie. I think The Town's a good movie. I think Gone Baby Gone's a good movie. I think if Affleck's directing and we have just like the thriller Will Hunting, I kind of feel like I'm in. I feel like I, I'm at least going to watch it, right? I'm going to go to the theater. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely watch it, but it obviously, sure. <laughs> like, with the caveat that this is the best outcome for this movie. Like, so, so you don't I think mean, there's any universe where the thriller movie... Is, even, is better? Even no, 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 no. That's even so... approaching? No, Affleck's no. a good director. Yeah, the talent was great. I think it's. I think it's good. I mean, I think he yeah, made. A, I mean, he he would make a good movie. He makes good thrillers. It's like we were just talking about one. However, stuff this movie is, but two, like that obviously sounds like a good idea when you're writing the script. But sure. if you think about how jarring that is, like from the rest of this movie. It just seems like such an obvious cut. Like, it's such an obvious dilution of what makes this movie effective. Yeah. So, again, I don't think it's a bad 
it's not a bad movie, the original version of this. There's an exciting action thriller in it with some poignant moments, but it's not, I think it's kind of a forgettable film in a lot of ways. Yeah. With a little bit of a muddled plot. <laughs> so, yeah. That we assume we haven't read it, yeah. but it'd be yeah. tough. I, I I think you're probably right. I, I, that's I would definitely see it. I would definitely see I'd it. I'd see it. Yeah. Affleck, the town, if you're town listening. rules, man. As we know, this show's audience is Sammy, Tyler, and Ben Affleck. So yeah, yeah. Please, Mr. Affleck, uh, give Make us it. this movie. Get it done. Let's go. The world demands. What do you with, got, Mike? With Batman. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is just the ultimate what if that I actually don't think is a very uh, big what if. But um, do you think they stay together for any length of time after this movie ends? And by they, I mean Will and Skylar. Like Brutal. any length of time. Do you think they make I, it I, I know at you're, all? Yeah, I, I see where you're leading to on this. I'm, I'm famously hopeless, rom- hopelessly romantic because yeah. every time I, I always say yes. Uh, I think no. But I actually don't think it's a negative thing. I think basically like Will gets there. They have yeah. they have probably like a good like year or two. But like since Will, I, I think because Will at the end of the movie, in my opinion, is starting his journey towards self uh, self-acceptance. No, no, he's done. He finished it. OK, well, thank you. I, <laughs> I think he's as, as he's now like learning about himself, they will eventually decide like, you know, we're actually not that great a fit for each other because they I, I, I don't know if they have legs in terms of their like like deepest essences i don't know if those really line up uh but it's a healthy breakup is what yeah, i'm saying i, I think like they're that. both in a good place and they're able to say you know we still care about each other but in romantically this just isn't it this isn't what we need uh and they, you know what i'm gonna go a step further they stay friends they break up Man. and they stay friends i love that look at that i That's love beautiful. that that is beautiful what do you think what do you got Oh, no. Yeah, definitely not. I think they make it like a, a week. And then she's like, so about Jesus. that physical altercation that we had. Um, yeah. Uh, everyone knows this story, but since we didn't say it, uh, I'll just get out there. Uh, the Robin Williams telling the story about his wife farting in her sleep was ad lib. Ah, and the, the laughing on everyone's part was so genuine that you can actually see in the shot on Damon, the camera shake a little bit from the cameraman laughing, trying to stifle his own laughter. <laughs> That's funny. That's uh, awesome. As Williams is telling the story, which I just, I, I just really appreciate. That's wild. I don't think I knew that actually. So yeah. Chalk me yeah. up as someone who didn't. Um, in the, <laughs> the opening sequence, we see Skarsgård finishing a lecture at MIT and his students applaud him afterwards yeah it's, and it's i just i just stuff. don't yeah, know no, who no, does no. that like have you ever been in a, a classroom in which i know one of your professors I'm, not like a guest lecturer like a professor finished one of your three lessons per week that you have him for and then you just stood up and were like slow clapping just like yes yes what's funny is uh, my first inclination was to say you know to be fair i was never in as prestigious a university as mit uh, and like I never had a professor who won like a Fields Medal or anything like that. But the the best part is, or, or what's great about that though is, on reflection, I'm like, you know, actually, I'm, I kind of do think I had like one of my geography, like my or not ge- uh, my I had a geology teacher that I remember w- was just an awful teacher, an awful professor in terms of teaching. But I remember one day looking him up and realizing that he had won like several several very prestigious awards. Uh, 
so apparently no yeah like i, I just zero percent interest i i think it's it's big the energy is the same as people who clap when a plane lands right yeah that you're like you're like this is just someone who did their <laughs> job like we don't need to come on guys to, come on guys you know yeah yeah let's all just relax a little bit um weird tangent question but do you have you ever clapped a movie ever in, in a theater i should say i mean i guess or alone that'd be weirder but that's real know. psychopath energy you're in your house alone just clapping uh, that's a good question in a theater maybe uh maybe oh, fair enough i don't remember i don't believe i ever have even though i do like the energy of a crowd that's really into like yeah. a midnight premiere movie yeah uh but i don't think i ever have i don't know what it would have been that's why i can't think of it maybe avatar dark Dark knight no it wasn't avatar no i think Mm -mm. you sure i think maybe avatar a couple times you were weeping i knew that yeah because of course it was still going i knew you yeah still it wouldn't stop it was three hours in and it wouldn't stop clawing at his eyes like (laughs) clockwork orange style yeah the 3d goggles had melted to my face (laughs) it's part of his vision um in hindsight, I'm mad that when you first started dating Ricky, mm. you never canceled plans by saying, I've got to see about a girl. First of all, because I love when people cancel plans with me. Yeah. Like it, it's just, it's That's just true. a great feeling. Yeah. I, I love the, the emotional release, the catharsis of having like, like to do something with someone later like the the anxiety build up to that and i'm in therapy so everyone relax i know i have social anxiety um but the the catharsis of the build up to that and then someone saying hey i can't do that is is just overwhelming it's the best feeling in the world so first of all i'm mad that you never did that in fact you're mm. you're incredibly good at keeping plans it's frustrating yeah um and then secondarily that you never you never drop the line like like what are we doing mike like what are you doing in your life I guess I just respect you our, our friendship yourself? enough to uh, to plan accordingly to see both people at the set well, times. That's, which that's we a huge agree. bummer, is what so. I'm trying to say. I, I'm it, it's I'm disappointed. Uh, I'm sorry, John. I'll do better. Yeah. Okay, sorry, but you can't drop the line anymore unless you're like like John cheating on your wife. You gotta go so see a about a girl. That doesn't make sense. You, you have seen about the girl. <laughs> You you are done. You have the, you are there. Oh Ugh. my gosh! All right, is my turn. Yeah. Let's see. The party where a teacher hits on one of their students, and there are people sure. in red suits singing a cappella. That's just become my like static framework, like my my coda for understanding our schema, not coda, my schema for understanding all Ivy schools, like Ivy League schools. It's just like forever in my head, that's what they are. That's miserable, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like I hate I've it. just never seen a party I want to be at less I hate than it. that. But I see, is is that, do you, how real do you think that is? Like, like do you I think, think that's, that's what I'm telling you, portrayal? John. I think that is how I imagine them literally, actually to be. Sure. That's tough. That's brutal. That's it kind of reminds that's... me of uh, like the, the, uh, a few scenes from social network too right yeah see like you Nailed think it. about uh like especially the the rowing competition like the little the little mix mixer after that i always thought it looked incredibly dull yep i was like wow who would ever do that yeah um that's why we're never going to be in high society mike we we we, we lost oh, our privileges now 
well and it was coming you know that, that our, our ticket our <laughs> ticket was coming up one day shucks uh can we really concede so so there's this guy at the beginning of the movie who will shows up in the bar and then like you know he gets Skylar's number and then he has the whole hey do you like apples and then he does mm. you know do you yeah like, i got her number can we conceive of why that guy said yes when Bill or when when or geez, when Damon asks him, hey, do you like apples? Like, you know, this guy's your rival. He's you know, you, you've you've argued. He showed you up. You see him later and he tees you up or sorry, he, he gives you an obvious setup and you just play into it blindly. What are you doing, guy? What's your what's your thought process? You're in an Ivy League school. You can't see like two seconds further into the conversation. I'm disappointed. You see, John, there's a deep truth about the world, which is within evil exists the seeds of its own destruction. And Jesus, the same is true for pride and arrogance. <laughs> this is just that. This, this is it. This is it. That's the most. That's the most pastoral I've ever heard you sound on this up on this show. <laughs> just very, just just out of nowhere with the with the language. I'm, I'm just that's just what it is. That is okay. what it is, can't, my friend. I can't argue with that partially because I didn't totally process what your point was. But <laughs> but yeah, good 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 pull. Love it. You're welcome. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, so, John, you let did, me ask you yeah. this. Let me ask you yeah. this. Does our legal system actually let violent people out of jail because they're good at math? Because, like, I thought that was yeah, I, athletes and actors and politicians, but, like, mathematicians, I'm, I don't know. I'm just curious. Is this I'll actually do you one better. I'll do you one better and ask, does, does having a Fields Medal and being a professor <laughs> at MIT give you, like, pull with judges? It's just like like maybe those crowds there's some intersection there, but I just don't know like just oh my god, a professor with a field oh, like, oh, like oh, oh. oh oh let me you know, th this guy I could trust him. I don't even think that makes you a trustworthy person, right? That's it's yeah. not like you you I'm know, gonna, it's I'm gonna do you one better, John. This is actually my yeah. next gray thought. I'm just gonna blend it into this one. Yeah, just just go into it. I only Did have one left, so that makes have sense. Any idea what a fields medal was before you saw Goodwill Hunting? No. Yeah. In fact, no, I'm that judge. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll even say I'm not totally confident I know what a Fields Medal is now. Like I keep saying it, but it's not like the no like there's it, there's a Nobel Prize in mathematics. It's surprising to me that or wait, is there a Nobel Prize in mathematics or is that the one that's famously like like doesn't exist? Well, we don't know, and we're not going to look it up. Not going to look it this, up, and neither did the judge. This. That's the point. It's brutal. It's brutal. I'm pretty sure there isn't. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if that's if that's really playing out that way. I'm with you. This is my last one. Uh, another story from the production. Originally, actually, I should I should preface that this one you should take with a grain of salt. This is the kind of thing that like Affleck and Damon might have said on the press circuit just to have a little fun. Uh, apparently, Ben Affleck was originally going to play well, and Matt Damon was originally going to be Chucky. The rumors are that they flipped a coin to decide who was going to play each part. And it came up that uh, Damon was going to get the role of Will. Uh, that's kind of, I don't know how much I buy that just yeah. because like, it, feels it seems so obvious that, that Damon has better acting chops than Affleck. No, just, I love, I love Ben Affleck. Um, but 
I guess the question then, Mike, do you think better or worse? Affleck or so Affleck gets uh, Damon, or sorry, I think geez. Affleck gets uh, Will Hunting, and Damon gets Chucky. I actually, it's weird because I, I I do think both of them could do. It wouldn't be like a terrible movie if they switched. I think it's, it surprisingly seems like it would kind of work, right? Like I, it doesn't no, seem that I, I impossible. I was going to go the other way. It could definitely work. Well, it could definitely work, but I don't think it's as good. I think both of them have weaknesses that the other character would reveal a lot more. Like, I don't, I don't know how well Ben Affleck can do vulnerable without kind of being schmarmy. And I also don't know how well, um, Damon can do like the charisma machine that is Chucky. You know what I mean? Sure. And and they're both. I, I think. Yeah, they're both yeah. really well suited for their roles. So maybe that's just bias because I've seen it, but I don't yeah. know. I think Damon's more likely to pull off Chucky than, than Affleck will hunting. Yeah, uh, I think it'd work though. I, I'd be extremely interested to see that. I think we yeah. ultimately got the best version of the movie, uh, but I'm I'm really curious how that would sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely watch it. I think it's definitely an interesting concept. Um, I've only got yeah. one more stray thought. And it's as simple as this, John. Is I will end you the greatest threat of all time. I simple, think delivered succinct, to the point. Well, you, have you ever heard that quote of like you? You should. What is it like? Like fear a quiet man's anger. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a great demonstration of that principle, right? Because he's a relatively quiet, gentle person, uh, and it kind of shocked. I think also because we have a relationship with Robin Williams as like a good person. Yeah. Um, so it's a little shocking in the movie when he when he drops that. Uh, yeah, that, that's that that's a lot. I, I I'd be I'd be intimidated. I like it because like you buy that it is the first time someone has ever truly intimidated Will. Like truly caught him off guard today. Like like hey, you do not have license to say whatever you want to whoever you want about whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, like I. You 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 look at his eye in, in Sean's eyes in that moment, and you're like, yeah, I, I believe this guy would destroy this person. Yep. I Consequence. Believe, I believe that. Yeah. Consequences. Consequences. Caught up to me. I'm not gonna say that's also like a good thing for a therapist to do. No. Uh, I think no. Sean maybe recognizes that. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a lot. That's a lot. I think you can only accept that in the context of he's still aggrieved. Um. And, and yeah, you, know, you can only make, accept that sense. in the the vein that he's not a healthy enough person to be a therapist right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's it. Uh, stick around after the break. We're gonna dive a little bit deeper into some of the movie's themes in a discussion. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, in this part of the podcast, Mike and I just wanted to take some time, dive a little bit deeper into some of the themes of the movie. Actually, in a sense, sort of tangent off of them. And uh, I'm actually going to throw it to Mike to sort of introduce and, and get us into the conversation. Uh, generally speaking, though, Mike, I think we're kind of interested in this idea of therapy in general, right? Yeah. Which is obviously something we're both we're both familiar with. Yeah, yeah. I think we've been kind of circling around the central idea of that road into recovery or into therapy and both the length it takes to kind of get to that point where you're ready to 
to heal, quite frankly, to name and then heal from these really deep-seated issues. Um, but also just the experience that comes on the other side of beginning to do that work, you know? And I think I was reflecting as I rewatched the movie this week, I was, it was years ago. I was listening to Peter Rollins on a podcast and he was talking about a French philosopher or psychologist, and I cannot remember its name right now, so I'm not going to try, but basically was talking about this idea that there comes a moment in which we have to stop playing whack-a-mole with like the symptoms of a deeper disease and ultimately we have to stop basically how we spend our entire lives like with these things like back pain and and oh, i get headaches i'm not sleeping well and, and i can't seem to like maintain a long-term relationship or this or that we have all these like small things that we keep seeing as like one-offs and we keep dealing with and then there's inevitably this point in which we have to or maybe we don't if you're lucky enough to go on like the journey of therapy or to realize your own need, you come to a point where you stop playing whack-a-mole and, and actually ask the question of like, what if these symptoms are all part of a deeper disease or a deeper pattern or a deeper trauma? And that ends up becoming the point in which the symptoms, and this is what I really liked, the metaphor he used was the symptoms then become prophets speaking truth to the mm -hmm. powers of our lives. And suddenly we can look at those symptoms, not necessarily as the problem, but actually as like the mouthpiece or the finger pointing us to this much deeper reality that we are on a head, like a, a basically a, a driving course to a confrontation with. And that usually is a past trauma, a pattern of thinking, a deeper behavior, an emotional disorder, whatever, that you then have to, from that moment of epiphany, go through like the hard work, which is therapy of deprogramming it and then reprogramming something else. So I was just curious. I mean, obviously this came up a lot in the movie. We talked about how the pattern of therapy in this movie is not necessarily accurate beyond that moment of, of, of realization. But I was just curious, like, how does that speak to maybe your experience about the journey to therapy and then also your experience of therapy? Well, I, I obviously I think it, it speaks quite a lot to it. I, I think that um, I, I love that idea of whack-a-mole with symptoms I, I i think about this is something i'm not actually qualified to say so take this with a grain of salt but <laughs> from from what i from what i gather uh there there is an interesting divide uh in sort of like medicine right like, like it, it broadly western eastern divide uh w which essentially comes down to the idea that in and, and I, i'm getting a lot of this from a uh former family member they divorced out of the family they didn't die it was just a weird way to, to phrase it when i started phrasing <laughs> yeah it. that's always strange uh, yeah yeah for a family member but who, who was at the time trained to become a doctor and and he was fascinated by this idea and ended up we ended up discussing it a lot to hear from him uh there is a general outlook on medicine in in the eastern sort of world culturally the, the culturally eastern part of the world that is very invested in the idea of holisticness and, and essentially on the basis of looking at symptoms as not something to fix in and of itself, not, not something I should say to address directly, but something that would lead you to questioning, well, what about your life is, is not conducive or, or is producing this symptom, mm. right? So, so, you know, instead of, so instead of like this is this is just a, a obvious example and one that isn't very nuanced because I think there are times that people legitimately need these sorts of operations but like something like like a bypass surgery 
instead of you know changing eating patterns sure. right that yeah. that would be an example I, again i'm sure that there's people that need bypass surgeries i'm sure it's not always that simple but that's the that's the framework that was presented to me as as the the dichotomy between yeah. how you look at it that are you always starting with you know let me address the problem or are you starting with let me understand why this would have come about and to me like that is simply put the the benefit of therapy like i i think that we're very used to addressing symptoms right that yeah. that is that is sort of a default thing because in a sense especially with mental health that seems to make sense like you you also if you're like me you don't even consider the possibility that your your mental health symptoms have a deeper cause until someone maybe points it out to you yeah and so i i think the standard for me was like well you spend your life just beating back the symptoms and, and you know the 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 therapy recovery phrase for that would be coping mechanisms you 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 end up developing all these ways of coping with all of these little things that keep coming up uh distracting yourself escapism uh obviously the, you know the famous ones are, are like you know drinking and drugs and alcohol or whatever but it's important to know it's like it can be small things it can be things that aren't bad inherently yeah right? yeah um but it's just things that that allow you to to temporarily relieve the symptom without addressing the cause and i think my my journey of therapy was very much like like not even understanding the causes of things myself right um as mike enjoys push making fun of before there there is no way i'm actually going to discuss those things on this show because they're they're too private but suffice it to say i think there was a lot like for me like it was a situation where it was like there's a lot of things that are stemming from really like just a few core uh things things that actually aren't even necessarily traumas in and of themselves so much as just not necessarily accepting certain things about yourself right things yeah. that you're you're hiding things that you're you don't understand or you don't want to address or you don't process or you never process correctly uh and also traumas and stuff like that right like i think those are sort of what you end up what ends up sort of festering inside and and i think sorry i'm a little rambly but the point i was going to make and then i'll throw it back to you but i think the other fascinating thing though is realizing that largely you or i can always speak for myself I was the one who was actually ignorant of all of those things beneath the things, right? Yeah. It wasn't yeah. that I wasn't admitting it to other people. I wasn't. But the reason why is because I also didn't understand it myself. I didn't want to. I was terrified of like trying to dive into, well, what is the source of feeling this way about this thing or, or feeling trapped or feeling conflicted or feeling this or whatever? It was, it's the ironic thing is that it's so not even ironic, but the interesting thing is that it's so much easier to address symptoms because yeah. in a sense, it lowers the stakes of, of what you're having to do. Right. It's less scary to just be like, you know, I, I, I'm, I get depressive and I, it's hard to get out of bed some days. Well, it's easy to be like, oh, well, you know, and don't get me wrong. This is good advice in a lot of contexts, but something like, Oh, well, try just cleaning your room and that makes you want to get up. And that that's a helpful exercise, but it doesn't address it's addressing the symptom, not the root. Yeah. And I think the value of therapy is that it gets you to a place of if done done well, done correctly, 
in the process of opening up and becoming vulnerable, you eventually realize, oh, I can, in addition to telling this other person, like, everything, like telling them things about myself that I wouldn't have admitted to other people, you end up realizing that you're also saying those things to yourself, right? Yeah. You're also putting them out there. It's like, oh, now I can actually process that as a real part of me and not just have it sit there, you know, on and, and try, trying to push it out of my vision. That's a yeah. little rambly. I don't know if that really makes sense, but it does. No, it does. That, that, that's how I look at this. Yeah. And that, that, that's the, the power I think, or for me, that's been the power of, of, of therapy largely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's, and when you were talking about, you don't identify the deeper thing when you start it. I mean, I, I think that's universally true. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say anything is universally true, but it, that's as close to universally true as, as anything. And that's been my experience. That's been everyone's experience that I know is that, uh, you don't know like the deeper reality that therapy is going to help you deal with when you start. And that actually makes a great bit of sense because like, ultimately that deeper reality is just normalcy for you. Right. Yeah. You don't even have a name for it. Um, and in fact, I think there's a reason that everyone I know who has begun some sort of therapeutic journey began doing so by wanting to deal with symptoms that had gotten out of hand. Like what they saw was these relational patterns and brokennesses that were exhausting or that they had worn them out or like you said, gotten to a point where they could not get out of bed or whatever else. And yet also what you're pointing out is the normalcy beneath it the thing that they can't identify is the larger problem that therapy eventually reveals but like of course in the moment all they see is the 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 effect the tangible concrete effect it's having on their world they may sure. later come around like in recovery and be like oh that pattern of relationship is grounded in my selfishness or my self-centeredness or in the way i i have learned to go inside of myself or to focus on myself in times of stress right and I learned that from these core memories or these core experiences that taught me this pattern of behavior or thought or whatever else. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's almost like the point of therapy is that you don't, you cannot put your finger on that thing until you have that third party help walk you to it. Because as far as you know, this is just what it means to be Mike or John. And as yeah. far as you know, like this is just a pattern of behavior of, there's just a bunch of outcomes that you keep having that you don't want to have happen anymore. And if you knew the solution to those patterns, then you wouldn't need therapy, right? If you had the solution to your problem, you wouldn't need someone else. Um, and yeah. that's kind of both the nefarious and the exciting part of like these core traumas and the way they manifest is that they do become so deeply ingrained that we, we desperately need someone else's eyes to go on that journey of self-discovery so that we can even start um, beyond just the, the symptoms becoming profits to the point that we can even name the power in our life, much less let those symptoms become something that helps us deconstruct and deal with it. Does that does that make sense? Am I making sense? Now I feel like I'm rambling. Yeah. No, that 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 absolutely makes sense. Um, I have curiosity. Is that is that a powder that that you feel uh, was part of your own journey? In, oh in, yeah, in therapy yeah. and, and f familiar to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you stop, I mean, and you can go with any one of my, uh, experiences that have brought about a lot of transformation. You know, when I talk about getting sober from drugs, it's, well, I'm suicidal and I don't want to be suicidal for 
anymore. Sure. And then you go to a sponsor and a counselor and it's like, well, actually you're, you're a drug addict one. And two, you have like all these reasons that, so like that suicidal thinking is actually a symptom of a symptom because then underneath the drug addiction is all these other coping mechanisms grounded in, in some sort of broken thought process, emotional unhealth or, or past experience. Right. When I think of that with alcohol, same thing. When I started getting help for like drinking, it wasn't because I was like, I must be afraid all the time because of this thing that happened to me as a child. And when I drink, I don't feel so scared. It was like, man, this drinking's getting out of hand. And if I want to yeah. like, if I want to have yeah. a healthy marriage or be a good parent to my children who were, or my daughter who was very young at the time, like I just got to get a handle on this drinking thing. And then through exploring this drinking thing, I discover that's a symptom of deeper problems. Right. Yeah. And you can do that with the times I've been to therapy, the times I've divin- dove into uh, issues of abandonment issues of like these cycles that play out of, of fear and running away from relationships and all these things. It's all the same pattern. I, I sought right. help because there was something that was did just reached a breaking point, an experiential concrete thing that tangibly I did not want to go through anymore. That then once explored was revealed to be part of a larger tapestry of unhealth yeah. or just illusion often. I think, and that, that's that's key to note too, because I, I think that like, it's we usually hear about therapy in that in that terms, which is not you know that that is an accurate um, or accurate. That's a valid journey, and I think like that that makes a lot of sense, and that's true for a lot of people. But the fascinating thing is that you know, like delusion is such an interesting word to throw out there at the end because it's like. I, I, I do think that there's a journey for people. And actually, I, I do think I, I sort of fit into this to a certain degree that I certainly have had traumatic things and I've had things that have created that, that I've had negative things that have created journeys of un or have created unhealthy sort of things in my life. Right. But I think it's also notable that there's also sometimes there's just things that you don't understand mm. or don't admit. Right. Like it, it's, it, it can even be just just not necessarily processing your own sort of existence well, which sounds a little bit esoteric, but it's I, I just think there's this side to it as well, where it's like sometimes you're not able to address yourself fully yeah. in an oddest way. Right. Yeah. And that can be a state that that could actually equal. Now, the part about it that's familiar is that that can also lead you to a situation where you have all of these mental health symptoms cropping up. Right. Sure. Um, because you're not existing in, 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 uh, what's the word I'm looking for. You're not existing in cooperation with yourself. I don't know. That's yeah. the word I wanted, but that yeah. kind of makes sense. Right. It's like, it does. Yeah. you're, you're battling yourself in a way, which I think is the through line between all of these. It's like, where are the places that you are your own worst enemy? possibly without realizing it and possibly with the best of intentions that's the sad thing is that it you know you're almost always like you're very fond of the quote mike uh your best thinking is what got you here here (laughs) and i think there's that there's that realization that it's like and that that the context of that applies better uh you know before you maybe seek help but the point of this the the quote is to say that it's like you can be in this state where you are so desperately trying to rescue yourself, but you don't even realize that it's your own delusions, like you said, or your own 
trauma or misunderstandings or, or failure to, to, to process yourself correctly that is creating the dilemma. I, I actually think about the, um, the quote uh, uh, when they're in the park in the famous speech and I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but, but, you know, Sean Williams character, Robin Williams character says, but you're in nine kinds of pain and you can't, and, and you can't reach out to anyone mm-hmm. and you're convinced that you can't get anything from anyone. Right. And you're and in order to, you know, essentially what he's saying is, and, and, and so now you have this coping mechanism where you, you know, act like, you know, you know, it more than anyone else. And you, you, uh, you know, are quick to dismiss people and to belittle people and stuff. But the reality is you're terrified. Yeah. And I think that is a familiar thing. Even if I don't, I don't have obviously trauma in that way. I think that idea of like, you have, you know, you're there on your own, just trying to push through, just trying to, well, I can, I can make this work. I can balance these things. I can quash these symptoms. I, I can do this. You're trying to help yourself, but you, you you just can't until you get outside of yourself, right? And I think that's again the value of therapy is like you bring in this external person and and you know, we were saying earlier that getting to that state of total vulnerability with both yourself and them is step one because that's when you start doing all of that processing. Um and then that's when you can start actually understanding, right? And, and healing, ultimately, of course. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, normally, at this part of the podcast, we tell you what our next episode will be. Uh, but we're actually at the end of the season. We we kind of arbitrarily have just decided to take uh, <laughs> our to end our second season. Uh, I think this is like thirty. Is this thirty or thirty one? I think it might be thirty one. So I think that, we're on thirty six, yeah. dude. <laughs> I, there, no shot. I'm yeah. gonna look that up. Jurassic that Park true? was episode thirty five, my friend. We, you, you are gonna have to stall now because I refuse to let the episode go on. You can with try me being that wrong. Okay. Uh, in my oh my god jesus christ all right well look at that okay well uh you know we've always said 36 episodes was gonna be the end of season two and here we are uh you know just very consistent as always (laughs) we Um, have a plan we we have a plan we've always had a plan uh so thank you all for listening as you do or if you are listening uh, we we will con- we will continue we will come back we're actually very excited uh, probably in the next two or three months we'll start up again uh, we're very excited to have some more guest episodes we loved our episode with Sammy on uh, the Jurassic Park episode so we will continue that uh, and probably do a lot more of that I think for yeah. the next season so that that should be really exciting um, and yeah thank you all so much for listening uh, we have one last Goodwill Hunting thing though we do want to have our final question for each other mike mine's a little boring to be honest i I kind of struggled this is just okay it's just a drama there's just not that much exciting things i feel like to ask uh so mine's maybe a little bit uh, a little bit of a gimme a little phoned in but i'm still interested to know if you had grown up let's imagine that you had grown up uh in basically these circumstances in boston as these characters yeah okay yeah sure I have to think hard. Um, 
again just invalidating a lot of people's journeys and lives but that's fine love love you for it uh which of these if you if if we are going to sort the four main friends as four archetypes which one are you most likely to have been if, if you're in the same setting uh which of those do you do you think he'd most likely i know what i imagine you end up you yeah. end up pulling but, but where, where do you think you end up more curious about that um where where you think i i pull yeah or where well, you, you think, think i think you what are. do you yeah, think yeah, about I, me i i have you pegged as a cole hauser guy from way back okay no 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 no, no, no i'm just kidding That's i think okay. uh i think uh, chucky ben affleck right yeah. where it's like you're, yeah. you're you're not like you, you you don't you don't have the raw skill set of of will i'm sorry uh but you're Dang. not directionless i know it's brutal you're not directionless in the way that morgan is right uh-huh. like morgan is a moocher i think you you're a self-starter like you're gonna you're gonna kind of put yourself together uh but i see you i see you in in, in chucky's kind of state and and kind of like sort of accepting just like yeah i'm here and it's okay and that's fine and no worries and also frankly like you would have given that speech to the will hunting friend right like that is such a you thing to do of like hey like i'm gonna sit here and tell you like you're wrong about your own life it makes it i don't know if it sounds so great worded that way but i just think you you could do that like you could pull that off yeah yeah i feel like that's exactly right um i feel like I, I actually am there as the pastoral figure to tell someone that I hope I never see them again too if they're my best friend. So you've given think, that speech to people. Oh man, best part of my day. So, but you're That's not funny. here next week. I'd That's love funny. I'd love it if you did that as a pastor. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, John. I think I would say that I, I I agree with your assessment. I always saw you as sure. more of a Tom. So I think Tom's sure. probably yeah. I I, I <laughs> big Tom vibes. That's brutal, but uh, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> like like has some potential, and then uh, kind of falls apart as soon as as he gets presented with someone. Uh, <laughs> it's dark. It's getting real dark. Yeah, um, this is kind of this is brutal. I have something to talk about in therapy, though. Look at that. Yeah, I think actually. So, who do you think you are? Uh, I liked Tom. I was like, I think that was great. Of uh, the guys, <laughs> I think. Of the guys, I, I actually do, th- like, like I don't know. Like, like unfortunately, they, they're just not, like, they don't really encompass, like, all levels of... Yeah, that's what uh, I was thinking, too. Yeah. I almost want to say mini driver. Like, not that yeah. I'm, like, going to an Ivy League school, but just that I'm, like, kind of making my way and sort of, like, like, trying to get relationships work. This is getting a little dark now. But also just, like struggling to to find like the vulnerability with the other person that's very relatable i I get that side of it and also like fascinated by people with like high competency but ultimately just kind of fascinated with it like she's a little bit like whatever about his like mind right like 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 in terms of she's not everyone else is like trying to exploit him or trying to use him or try to like i need to understand it she's just kind of like okay cool like that's crazy, but like you know, uh, that is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I think that's I great. That I energy. actually thought I was thinking her too, for you. That yeah, makes there sense. you go. Makes I'll sense. Take that. Um, uh, what you got? Got, got mine. I'm nervous. Uh, I'm nervous. John. No, actually, it's yeah. not that bad. So you're a notorious. Okay, okay. You're a notorious nine. Enneagram nine. Love uh, it. Yeah. You are terrified Eight. of conflict. You're a coward. Hate it. Yeah. Um, 
Always do you generally a... fall apart under pressure. If where, Will, where are we going with this if question? If Will approached you <laughs> in the bar and like ripped into you like that, how would you respond? And would See, you the ever? Is, and I mean, I would ever, never recover. Uh, well, I would never go to a bar again. <laughs> that, would, that would be the end of that'd be the end of the bar scene for me i'd just be like cool never you know three more years i mean what was that guy like actually quick aside no one in this movie looked like they were in college no that guy looked like he way. was 50 yeah like, that, guy, like, that was not like it like an eight you know 18 to 20 year old guy uh movies got a lot better about at that like yeah, you think of social they network they all look they like they're in their early 20s right um yep. Yeah, no. I, so yeah, definitely. Like, I, I will never recover from this. I, I will never go to a bar. I'm just like, cool. I spend the rest. I mean, he may have done that. Like, where is he? He's in a TCBY. I assume that's just where he spends the rest of his evenings with his, with his friends. Um, I would also never be in the situation though, right? Like, where where he's like trying to show up someone and like, like kind of bragging about his. I, I just don't think I would even get to that point, right? Like, I'm just not out here. I'm just not very interested in like kind of the brigad- the the bragad- Fair. Bra- bra- braggadocio is that a word have i just invented no, that was wild. i feel like I've, I've i've kind of i've kind of connected a few different unrelated words uh bra- bra- braggadocio i don't know i would never quite have that much uh that kind of energy i don't think in the first place but yeah w- what a nightmare honestly yeah. and and, yeah. and actually yeah. i i earlier uh when you and i were talking uh before this podcast um i actually mentioned the thing about you know why did the guy team up with the apples thing and at the time you had said what you didn't say in this episode but you had said well he's probably he's kind of freaked out like he's probably scared and that actually kind of landed it for me because i would do the same thing so i would actually tee him up with like how uh, do i make you go away and ignore me yeah i'm like i'm not gonna disagree with him i'm not gonna like push the point I was going to be like, yeah, sure, whatever. I like apples. Stop talking to me. <laughs> How do I get out of the situation? That would be the energy. That makes sense. That makes sense. What about Good you? Answer. Because I can't, you're, you're hard to gauge because yeah. from, what you, from what you tell me, you used to be a much more confrontational person. I feel like Mike in high school would have like, or high school slash college, like you would have like kind of, kind of puffed your chest a little bit. I think you would yeah. have kind of. I think, that, face, I think that I, ends with me getting my butt kicked, at least in sure. one version of me. Like I I definitely try to puff up and then he's like not he's way more violent than I think he is. Yeah. Um, like he's definitely not messing around. <laughs> You're like, and I oh, definitely we are, am. He's, well what <laughs> happens when he says, like you get in a situation, you start pushing back, he's like, Let's go outside. What do oh, you what no, do you say? No, nope. Don't want to do out. that. You're you're like, no, 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 yeah, let's, let's no. relax. Especially the way yeah, he yeah. says it and the way he moves in. I'm like, oh this guy's like for real. This guy's like this guy has been in a lot of fights. Have you ever like, been in a fight? Yeah. Yeah, I have. All right. I have. I, a, I, 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 but I have like, had someone who wanted to fight me and I did like that. Ba- I did like back off. No, no I no, definitely no, we're good, we're will. Good. I have fought people when people have started a fight with me, but I, sure. I have never been one to like seek out violent confrontation. I yeah. definitely think I would have tried to, uh, I don't know, continue that little debate of ours going longer than it should have, even though I was losing horribly. Sure. Like I would have taken a long time to realize that he had he, ripped me he, to shreds. You know, props to the guy. Once he knew that he was taking the L, he did stop, right? Because I I could see that. Like like it, maybe if he was drunker, if he was a different kind of character, where he's like, no, nah, I'm just gonna double down. I'm just gonna come for you, you know. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I'm with you. <laughs> so, that's but that's you I, and Co- so you now. I don't think. No. I don't think you're not right. about yeah, it. Yeah. I would literally just be like, okay, dude. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay, bro. This is so unbelievably not worth it for me to be engaged in this conversation for any length of time beyond right now. Yeah. So whatever makes you leave. Um, I think Here I've gone go. through enough ego death to be like I would much rather go home to my family than engage in whatever <laughs> this good. is. You're like, I don't want any part of this. Yeah. Good good to know that we, we don't think of ourselves as the worst Therapy. characters in the movie. Therapy, <laughs> baby. Therapy, we did it. Oh man, we made it. Well, Mike, uh it's been a pleasure. What's your what's your standout movie from this season? You weren't prepared for this uh, question. Go socks. Okay, that not an answer. Standout any movie. Way, so my my favorite pod we did was definitely Jurassic Park. That was a hoot. I was gonna and, say the same uh, thing. I was like, that half. was a great time, yeah. I think that's why we want that's why we want the guests again. I think that was a great energy. Basically, yeah. I'm sick of just talking to you. Like yeah, I Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I I'm need totally, some I'm more right people. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right over there with you. you. Yeah. I yeah. really liked I really liked Dune. I thought that was a, a banger this oh, year. Oh yeah, Dune was Dune was a great way to start. Parasite season, yeah. baby. I mean Parasite still might be the best movie ever. Parasite like, is still like the one is the only one I go back to. Not the I don't listen to our episodes ever, but uh, I have to edit them to be fair. So that's that's brutal, but um Parasite uh, is the only movie that I think I've gone back to multiple times since our episode, which is crazy because it wasn't even like like the oldest episode we've done, right? Like it was pretty recent. Uh, but that's yeah. just such a good movie. That's the movie I keep going back to. I'm like, this is so good. It's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm with you. Yeah. So that, that's probably mine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, uh, good season. Good app. Any last words? Any last uh, Goodwill Hunting takes, words, thoughts, prayers, comments? Tom Brady. Okay. Is that it? That's, That's it. That's all I got. Yep. All right. Stick cool. it to it. Great, great note to end on. Thank you all so much for listening. Special shout outs to Tyler for catching a stray. We love you. <laughs> Please keep listening. Uh, and uh, we will see you guys next season. Take care. Bye, y'all.